and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is solo gaming ping pong. Today I'm joined by the opinionated gamer, Ben Mandelker. How's it going, Ben? Hi, Tom. What's going on? It's great to be back. It is good to have you. And you have brought you have brought a special treat. Your trusty sidekick today is the Game Breaker, my brother, Paul. How's it going, Paul? It's going great. It seems like I have a lot of monikers. Sidekick, villain, uh, jerk. Yeah, I would take I would take sidekick Man over villain. Hats. Personally, I would take sidekick uh, over villain. Uh, hey, no, I'm, I'm moving up in the uh, in the superhero hierarchy. Absolutely. Or down. I, I don't know. I don't know. And by the way, uh, I don't consider you a sidekick in any way other than this is <laughs> Ben's uh, Ben's episode, and you are you are joining. That's the yeah, only yeah. sense in which you would ever be a sidekick. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. I love that was you a too. nice recovery. That was really good. <laughs> well, you know. Not a sidekick at all, except that it seems like you wouldn't really be able to hold your own in a leading role. That's it. That's but, it. Oh, I am the Horatio of, you know, this play. <laughs> Look, I want Thanksgiving dinner to go well, so I got to be I got to be on uh, best behavior here. Yeah, which is the first time we had Thanksgiving together. We'll have Thanksgiving together in uh, what? Uh, Six five years. years, five, five years. Yeah, yeah, but I know. I think it's five. I think it's five years. We used what? to. We used to have the Donnelly family uh, Thanksgiving every single year, going all the way back to when uh, Paul and uh, Paul and his wife and me and mine got married. Uh, we would do it every year. But recently, I've been traveling up to visit my brother, and it was a good chance to get mm. together with my uh, with my brother up in Sacramento. Uh, may, I, may I ask a question on behalf of me and I think many of the viewers, listeners? Sure. I would love to know the the connection, like how you guys are brothers in law. Is it like um, sister sister? Yes. Is it a brother? How? What, what's the connection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Barrington, um, Paul's wife, is the sister of Moira, my wife. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> that's like and it's very cool go. and oh. like very sitcommy, which I love. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we only got married a year apart too. Wow! And did you guys meet each other? Did did you guys meet through your wives, or this this all came together in a perfect? Wow! I actually remember the the uh, the Christmas party that I met Tom at. (laughs) I remember that too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whose it was. I just go, I go like, oh, you know, uh, there's Moira, and and there's uh, her boyfriend, huh? And there you, you go. And you were oh, that's Barrington's girl, but Barrington's boyfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, the, that literally the, was our interaction. Yeah. Not the choice I would have gone with, but okay. I'll tell you who feels like a sidekick now. This guy over here, because he's not in your family. I'm uh, now. I'm the sidekick to this this family complex. Hey, there man, we go. We, we look, make a game called Sidekicks and see how that works out. I just want to yeah. say our wives have a brother, Ben. Okay. It's not too late. <laughs> I'll just tell my boyfriend. I'll say, listen, I love you. <laughs> But I really feel like marrying into yeah. <laughs> marrying into this family. It just because we were going to start a cult. It makes a better podcast. You, he'll yeah. understand. He'll understand what he, he will fully. <laughs> I have to, by the way, also apologize to listeners. In my excitement over this topic, I flapped my hands and struck my microphone. So if you heard like this, like sound of this, that. That's me, and I know it's very annoying, and I apologize, and I'll probably flap my hands uncontrollably many times during this episode. So just giving a fair warning. I just want to address it. The, the, the elephant in the room. It's the is, excitement that can't contain itself. That's beautiful. It's yeah, a beautiful thing. The acoustics. I should probably get into the, to, to this by saying this is round nine, turn four. And we are going to talk about the 2014 release, Fields of Arl, and its 2017 expansion, 
tea and trade. And then we are going to excavate some hidden gems that we feel have not got the audience that they should have. Gentlemen, shall we talk about uh, game night? Ben, what do you? What, what's your? What's your? What's your game? What's your game week or a few weeks, Ben? What have you been? What have you been playing? That's really uh, that, that you're that you're getting into. Um, well, aside from Fields of Arl, which I played a bunch this week, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, um, uh, there have been a few things. Uh, I spent the past two weeks playing a lot of Ginkopolis online on Watage.net. I think it's Watage.net. Whatever. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know why. I just felt like. Like dabbling in it, you know, people love Ginkopolis and it's coming back, yep, and yep. Um, it's a really fun game, and and uh, I've I've been really enjoying, uh, you know, playing around with it. I, I don't do a huge amount of online gaming with strangers because mm-hmm. I really like the social aspect, but um, yeah, I've been in like a Ginkopolis kind of place, which has been fun. Um, uh, I played, uh, I think actually Alfred mentioned it last week, but I played a game of Roads and Boats with him and Elder, which was. Really made me really happy because I've been wanting to play that for a long time since since we last played it, Tom. Yes, and then I remember yeah. I remember you you almost had to get a seat on the plane for it. <laughs> your, your physical yeah. copy. Oh yeah, my famous copy that I I found in the middle of Kansas, um, and <laughs> no no lie, I, right before the pandemic hit, I found Roads and Boat. It's in a little store in the middle of Kansas. And I bought it, and I did almost have to buy a seat for it. I still and have the that, other thing, I still save that text. What, you said you said this text like, "What should I do?" It's like right here. It's and it was it's at the end of a gaming shelf, and it looked like there was a <laughs> a, a skylight above it because it was like glowing. <laughs> like, how do you not you know, get it, that? And it's also so big compared to the rest. It looked like um like one of those movies where so, like a criminal is on the run, and like the cop, the bumbling cop, is chasing them, and then the criminal like finds like. <laughs> like finds a bunch of mannequins and and like gets still around the mannequins and it's like obviously there's a human amongst mannequins. <laughs> it's like that's what the game looked like on the shelf with everyone else. Like I'm just a regular game, guys. That's fine. It's cool. Yeah, don't mind me. Don't mind me. Yeah, don't mind me. And then the other game was uh, Paul and I. We actually played Maglev Metro about a week or two ago. Oh yeah, that's right. We did, didn't we? I'm dying. We to did. Play that. I'm dying to play it. Did you lo- did you love it? Um. I felt like I had a strong like of it. Okay. What did you think, Paul? Uh, I wouldn't say love. It's definitely not love. Uh, we only played one game, and so uh, there's potential. But then there for both, like you know, like uh, like oh, this is great, and potential, like oh, is this broken? So really, uh, so yeah, so it's it's just one of those things where I think more, more plays would reveal what it is. Oh. Mm-hmm. I would totally play it again, and I want to explore it some more because it feels like there are elements in there that need to be explored. Um, and um, it sort of has like a base level of fun. Like it's just fun to make your own little subways and to move your train back and forth. There's like that element of play about it that's really fun. But um, it is missing a little bit of an it factor. And um, again, this is preliminary. Sure, I, and I do want to go back and play some more. But also, um, it was... Uh, it's on Tabletopia, and it's a game. This is not a game that's made for these implementations. It's uh-huh. just there's so much move this here, and then thing falls out, and it's just like you're mm. constantly picking up these digital bits, and it's kind of just an, an annoying, pro, annoying game to play online. 
Gotcha. Yeah, we ultimately had to like transfer to TTS to play it. Oh, uh, oh, wow. Because table because the Tabletopia, right? Am I no? It was actually the other. So we started we started with TTS, which has a mod, but the mod is like overly scripted. Oh, uh, that's right. And, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it had all these weird bugs, so it was actually unplayable on TTS. Oh, so then we went to Tabletopia, um, which. Um, which was fine, but like the thing is, what the thing with Maglev Metro is that you're loading little got little people or, or robots into these trains, and you move the trains along. Mm-hmm. But they these things just fall right out of the trains online. Like in real life, you actually put them in a thing that fits snugly, which is nice. But it's just it becomes sort of like a headache to play, and right. and I wonder how much of like just the actual like maneuvering of the digital bits gets in the way of having enjoying the game. The experience it should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Interesting. Well, listen, I'm glad you guys are the guinea pigs then, because if, I, yeah, if there's a game I can, if there's a game that I don't have to play, that's that's also useful information to me. Um, <laughs> that's worth trying for sure. Yeah. What about what about you, Ben? Anything anything non Ben related that you've been playing lately? Non Ben related. Uh, just Paul, no, talking to Paul. Oh. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Ratio here. No. Uh, not, uh, no. Not you, Batman. <laughs> no. Not you, Batman. Go, Robin. Go ahead. Uh, yes, Robin, uh, it's your turn. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think within the last week and a half, uh, they released uh, Mr. Jack on BGA. Ah, still love and that I've game. been playing a lot of that. And uh, I think two days ago, I got my first like backhanded compliment on BGA at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, so basically, what happened was we were playing Mr. Jack, and Mr. Jack is basically like you know you're a, uh, you're either a detective or a serial killer. And you're trying to escape. And uh, you, you move eight people or whatever. It doesn't matter. The, the, the point was uh, the guy put me in a situation where I had to guess who he was oh, or she was. And uh, they made it so that like there was one obvious person that they were. Mm. And I made the guess and I was right. And then they go, good guess. I was going like, you didn't give me much choice. You know, like it would be a good guess if like he tried to rope dope me and I saw through the rope dope right, right, but like right. he gave me the most obvious thing to do, and I was like, going, huh, that's my first, like, kind of like uh, moderate interaction on BGA where I was like, that was not tasty, <laughs> <laughs> meaning that you felt like it was like it was such an obvious thing that it didn't even warrant a good guess compliment. It, I, it was one of those things where the subtext, I mean, and, and what can you really tell with a chat, right? The subtext was like, oh, you got lucky. Mm. And and I, I, I don't think I was lucky. I think that was real just like induction. Mm. But like it would be completely different if like, you know, he had uh, made it look like one guy and it was the obvious person to go for. And I went another way. And then he mm. said, good, that would be that would be a true compliment. Sure, because right, yeah. it wasn't a guess. It was like a it was uh, an informed tr- informed choice on your part. It, it, in fact, it was worse than that because he gave me no choice. I had to pick this person, or the next round, he if if this was the right person, they would win, and I couldn't stop them. Mm. So, like you know, it, it, they they kind of like teed me up, and I hit the ball. It's like if I put a like a wiffle ball on a wiffle ball mount, and I swung and I hit the ball, and someone goes to me, "Good hit." maybe but maybe they thought that your intelligence was not as high as it was and so they were genuinely surprised that you that that this is 
what happened. Or it's absolutely true. It could be absolutely true. Like, you know, yeah, I, uh, maybe they overestimated their own intelligence and thought they had given you a rope a dope and had given you a plethora of things to guess. Maybe, maybe Kruger done. Or a plethora, either way. Um, <laughs> or a plethora, or a plethora. <laughs> did, uh, have you found, so I, I love Mr. Jack. I think it's a really uh-huh. interesting two-player deduction game. Uh, it always felt like Jack really has his work cut out for him. It's a really hard, it's a really hard game to win as Jack. And as you play it more, it balances a little bit, but never quite enough. Did, do you still find that to be the case? Absolutely. I absolutely find that Jack is the harder character to play uh, and I think of equally skilled players like Jack will, I would say lose like maybe, uh, three quarters of the time. Like, I, I think, yeah. I think just the advantage of, uh, the, the detective and you're really required to, how should I say, uh, deal with the cards that come out yes. in a way that the detective is not. Uh, I think that's 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 kind of what I'm getting at, which is my my issue with the game. While I love it, is that if the cards do not come out in the right order, Jack is going to lose against equal competition ninety percent of the time, and the the opportunity for Jack to win often is often if it, against relatively similar players. Uh, in skill level, yeah, comes down comes down to the right situation coming up, and sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah, no, uh, it is. You know, it's one of those things where I play the same way I play Avalon. Like I play it for fun, not yeah. for balance. Uh, you know, like it, it, it is. It is the aspect where, like, you go, oh, here is this thing. Can we can we make it work or not? Because, like, in a way, the way I look at it is like, if you're the serial killer. You know, you are outnumbered. You, you you probably don't have the advantage. You should. You need to be better. It's like in uh, James Bond's Doctor No. You know, the criminal has to be smarter than the average person because yes. you know That's, they. Yeah, serial that, killer is like uh, go go Ben. Yeah, no, I was gonna say that's I I think what you just said playing for fun versus balance is such a like a I think that's a really great point to make about gaming uh, because Alfred also last week had mentioned about playing Santorini about how there's one character that seemed really overly, overly powered. But if you look at it as more like it's a boss fight, right? There's, you know, sometimes imbalance is not the worst thing. If you just look at it, if you have sort of the right mindset about it, which is like, all right, this is imbalanced, but that means I have to be on my A game, right? Like I have to like, you know, pull up. And I feel like sometimes we like overly, um concern ourselves with balance especially since we have such an imbalanced world it's sort of crazy that we like as board gamers are like this has to be perfectly balanced so um i kind of like that idea that's like okay yes mr jack is harder to play with but it just means i have to pull up a little bit more you know yeah and it's short enough it's not a very long exactly that's exactly it's not a three hour slog that you're like oh i'm gonna get beat up for three hours it's you know 20 minutes and you're like oh that was a fun hit but i've been playing too much of it like you know go play again play <laughs> well again. <laughs> a jack victory is is one of the better experiences in gaming right it's sure, it's sure. It, because Absolutely. it's so hard because it's so hard and because it, one mistake and you're doomed it, it really is a quite quite a good challenge um, and for me, you know, Field of Arl and, and blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll just mention one game that, that I've been playing a little bit more recently that, that I'm, I'm loving. Um, getting back into Wavelength a little bit. Gosh, that Ooh. is so much fun. I yes. really think that that is... 
I, but there is a subset of people, and I'm not going to name any names because they might be uh, people related to us or people we know, uh, that, not me. I'm that, not that to you have guys. a hard time. They don't even grasp, like no matter how many times we explain the, mm-hmm. the, the, the essence of the game, there's something, there's a block in, in, in yes. like they, they have a hard time uh, calculating nuance, I Rocking think is what it, it is. Right, yeah. sure. No, calculating nuance. Right, it's like it's like. Well, oh, this it, it, you. For instance, uh, best person in the world, worst person in the world. If that's the thing, right? And mm. I say Charles Manson. Right, Charles Manson. Some people are going to people that have a tr- tough time calculating nuance are going to peg the needle on worst person in the world and go all the way over there. They're not really thinking. They're thinking, oh, that's just an awful person. Boom, goes right over there. They're not thinking, well. They didn't say Hitler, right? They didn't say right. Stalin. There are worse people. There are many worse people, so it's pretty far over there, but it's probably not all the way over there, right? And, and, and so on and so forth. Or, uh, anyway, I, I find doing that mind reading uh, and, and, and understanding the, the, the nuance, and you really have to be able to, in that game, to think about, well, what would the worst option be and how, how many steps back from the worst would that be, right? Like uh, sweet versus salty, right? How far over is caramel, right? Well, salted caramel, right? You know, it's, it's, like, it's definitely sweet, but... <laughs> That's the name of my book, by the way. How far over is caramel? <laughs> <laughs> Available this fall. Just me and a boa and, and like <laughs> sultry, sultry lighting on the cover. That's, that's great, but when the uh, when it when it goes well, that game is exceptional. We were playing uh, playing with a uh, a friend, um, and this is a guy that is just very, a very straight laced guy, right? Just really, really sort of straight laced, sort of down the middle guy. Him and his his girlfriend, uh, they both went to Harvard, uh, which I made a joke about. I said, "No, you can't possibly have gone to Harvard," and they said, "Why?" And I said, "Well, because I've known you for a long time, and I didn't know that." <laughs> and everyone who didn't go to Harvard died laughing, just cracked up. The two of them stone faced. Not a, not a, not any classic Harvard, right? Classic Harvard, classic Harvard. Can't even laugh at them. Classic Harvard. So he got one that was dressy casual, dressy mm-hmm. casual. Now he's learning the game, so he gives the clue jacket, and I'm like, oh, no, okay, we're gonna do a backseas here. You could say more than jacket. You should say more than jacket because jacket because there is a tuxedo, which is very much on that. Then that's a jacket or a tuxedo jacket, and then there is a jean jacket, which could not be more casual, right? So you can put a qualifier in with that. And he said, "Sport jacket." And that was the clue. And we're discussing it. We're talking about it. And his girlfriend is is on my team, and she's like, "Okay, that is super casual. That's way over on the casual side." I'm like. Dress jacket, and like like sport jacket, like like what you would wear. You would still wear that with you know dress pants and 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 so on and so forth. Yeah, like I, I just like I would say middle, uh, right, the, right. At it's, least no, in the, no, the new. I actually, you know, like because you say Harvard, I would say that it is pretty casual. Like it, you know, like 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 eighty percent casual. It was the Hitler of casual. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so far down that that route that I couldn't believe it, and we, you know. And I'm arguing with the person that knows him the best, and I'm realizing this is a ridiculous thing. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be doing this. I should go with 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 her gut, and even she underestimated it. It was just. It was crazy. So, it, 
<laughs> you put so you put sport jacket like all the way like at the at the the, the end a, the extreme I'm, for I'm, casual. I'm, I am exaggerating so slightly. It was it was if if three o'clock is 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 super casual. He was at two two thirty. It was way That's over it. there. It, it goes it goes like as far as casualness. It goes like boxers for bed. Sports jacket. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I'm like, I'm like, wait, and I'm, I was ribbing him about it too. I'm like, what is, what would, what would twelve noon be for you? Would, would that be white tails? What, what's the, where, where do you go from there? Oh my god, it's probably some. Well, it's like that whole thing, you know, like semi-formal is really kind of feels pretty formal, you know. Yeah. So yeah. he probably has that 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 scale. He's probably going by the semi-formal scale. Well, semi-formal is only semi, so it can't. If semi-formal, in, by definition, has to be twelve o'clock. But uh, that's the that's the best part about that game, right? Just even this discussion here, just sitting and listening to it. Yeah. I'm like thinking about it, and and you know uh like you know when we talk about people who are perhaps nuanced challenged you know with the game it's tricky but it's not necessarily that they play it they're not playing it wrong it's just more of a a matter to be like oh i have to get into their mindset maybe they Mm. actually will learn nuance from the game it's interesting because like i when when i hear it tom when i hear what you're saying ben Mm -hmm. i i think like oh that's not that's not the game i play when i play wavelength the way the game I play that way, like, what is this person going to think is blah blah blah? Either I'm when I'm guessing or when I'm uh, I'm giving the clue. I'm always playing the person because uh, it's it's a when I look at wavelength, it's a game of empathy and understanding. You yeah. know, I, I don't. It's not a game of like there's a objective like oh this is worse, this is you know blah blah blah. I'm I'm looking at it like what would this person think is the worst or the best or the casual or whatever you know that that's how I approach wavelength. Mm, mm. But it, I mean, what's cool about wavelength is that the the empathy goes both ways. Like when I oh, am yes. in control of the, of the round, I'm going to choose a clue that I feel like the group is going is going to lead the group in a certain way. I'm trying to get in the mind of the group, and then ideally the group is trying to get into my mind, which then of course is where the hilarity ends. Uh, not ends, but starts because. <laughs> I'm trying. It's like the the gift of the magi, right? After like that, I'm trying after, to make it for them. They're trying to make the it humor for is me. over. And at the end, it's like I'm, uh, you know, just I'm just going to the beach in my yeah. sport coat, you know. So yeah, no, right. Uh, are we? Am I calculating my answer to what you're going to guess, or are you calculating your guess to what I'm answering? Right. I, yeah. I, I will. I'll put it this way. What's interesting about it is that of the party game genre, most party games are about how well you think. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like how smart can you be in in coming up with a great clue or a great answer in taboo coming up with different words to get a person to guess the right thing because they can't use all of these words. Right. It's how well you think. Wavelength is about how you think. It is literally Mm -hmm. you get a window into the way a person views the world. Uh, You know, some of these questions, you really get an idea. Really? Really? So Genghis yeah. Genghis Khan only ranks there for you? Like like walk me through this. Where is what's what's worse than that? What's better than that? What's what's more this? What's more that? What's you know, really it's so a sport coat, you know, if I was wearing less than a sport coat, I might as well be homeless. That's basically what you're saying, right? It's 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 really really interesting how you how you, how much you can learn about a person and the way they think about and the way they view the world, which is really interesting. 
great game. Yeah, it's a great absolutely. game. Absolutely. You know, like it's it's the only game that I know that does that. Like you know where mm-hmm. like you know more about the person after the game than you did going in. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Plus the categories are are hilarious. The first time I played it, with, which was with you guys. There was something that was overrated letter versus underrated letter, and that was like <laughs> my favorite. It continues to be my favorite one, and I <laughs> I have subsequently had that discussion with people, and it is just the funniest discussion. Like it's just it is it's so fun. What a great game! Oh, I, my favorite is the is the first time we played it at our at our game night. Uh, I got the question: uh, someone someone who can beat you up, someone you can beat up. And I, yeah. looked, I, I looked across the table at my friend Jim Fitzgerald, and I said, Jim. <laughs> and it was the meanest discussion. It was like it was basically a round table with all of the people on the other team just opining about how, how weak and out of shape I was and trying to calculate exactly where the needle should go. <laughs> and like, it's well, so I bet you he thinks he can take Jim, but I don't think he can take Jim. But so <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it was so mean. It was so awful. Absolutely, it's a, it's a great game. Love it. The Love person it. I, I play, uh, I play that I enjoy playing most with uh, wavelength is Dimitri. Yeah, be, <laughs> well, because you can't play with Dimitri. It's just, well, well, no, no. See, I, I feel like I know Dimitri very well, and you know, I adore him, and he's great. But there are times when I go, "How are you getting there?" This is what I'm saying. No, I know Dimitri. I, I've known Dimitri for three times as long as you. I think I know him really well. Every other, like one time out of two, I will nail the answer and I'll be like, here's why Dimitri thinks this. I know it seems ridiculous, but this is why he thinks this. And you'll get it right and you'll feel so good. And the next time, it, it'll be, Absolutely. his answer will be so off the rails that it's like, what? where do you even get there? And of course, his answer is a 15 minute treatise on. You have to understand that I was taking, I was taking the question in the Voltaire sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's exactly right. Accurate. Accurate. This is... All right, yeah. guys. And that, that was a review of Wavelength. Thank you for joining. I know, that was great. That great. was a super long this week's game night. Let's just let's see if we can run through the news quickly so we can actually talk about the things we need. This was a mistake having the three of us on. This is going to be a problem. Uh, always. Let's go always. to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nelson, South American. All Let's go to Ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to bury the lead. My favorite piece of news for the entire year is out. Splatter has come on record announcing what their next game is going to be. Their next game is going to be a game called Horseless Carriage. It is about the very beginning of the automotive industry. Uh, Details are super spotty. Um, If there is Essen next year, they plan on having it for Essen. We know that. We know that the game will have two basic segments or parts to it. One is a consumer market, which we are promised has a very unique mechanism uh, operating the market. And the second part is a factory. Evidently, you'll be gaining technology that will allow you to begin to build cars that no one has ever built before. This is at the very beginning, right, when, when people were just figuring out how a horseless carriage could even work. Um, but interestingly, um, the, the way they were pitching it, uh, and this is on Heavy Cardboard. They, they did a, a long interview on Heavy Cardboard. They mentioned that it is one of those games where you can actually win the game by helping other people research for their own factory because there are mechanisms within the game that under the right circumstances, you can draft off of their innovation for your own product, 
which I thought was that's that sounds doesn't that sound like classic splatter? You know, it's like okay, you know, it's this thing where you're you're building up your own tech tree, but no, 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 no. You could also play the game by helping other people build up their tech tree and basically stealing from it. Like, oh, that mm. sounds what awesome. a twist! Right, fun, yeah. yeah, just like the automotive industry itself. Don't have much more about that. We don't, you know, it, it's splatter. We're not going to know until we know. Um, you know, I think that if we start having in-person conventions and and such again, that at some of the big ones, you know, a prototype of this might be uh, might be getting around. But it sounds like they're, you know, they're down to balancing now and they're starting to dial it in. But I think they feel pretty darn happy with uh, with how the game is turning out. And uh, you know, as as Edward said on the podcast, he said, "You guys look." Uh, uncharacteristically happy, you know. They're they're those very stoic uh, mm. uh, Dutch folks, and it was true. They they looked kind of giddy, like like oh, can't can't wait until you check out this thing, right? So well, uh, I have to say, I just want to thank Sp- uh, Splatter ahead of time for the advanced copy they'll be sending my way. I, it's <laughs> totally unnecessary, <laughs> but. Uh, Thank you again for offering that to me. I will gladly receive it. Thank you so much. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to pick it up in Kansas City. That's their main distribution. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, I found their like they're, they're, their, their no. Twin Peaks wormhole or whatever. <laughs> uh, next up, GMT Games has a new coin game out. Uh, I, I realize some listeners, because we are sort of heavy Euro is is sort of our niche in the hobby. So when we talk about war game terms, not everyone may know what coin means. Coin games are counterinsurgency games. It's basically a style of uh, war game that, <clears throat> beg your pardon, that is card based. And the idea is that you play with either two or four people, and one person is playing the establishment and one person is playing the insurgents. So the establishment is trying to launch a counterinsurgency to destroy the people that are trying to rise up in revolution, and the revolutionaries are trying to, to conquer them. And the great thing, one of the great things about the coin game is that often it, it, they play best with four players because there are two different factions for both the establishment and for the insurgency uh, in the in one of their deepest, heaviest games, uh, Fire on the Lake, uh, about the Vietnam conflict. Uh, one person is playing the U.S. military. One person is playing the the, the propped up, you know, United States, uh, South Korea, uh, South Vietnamese uh, military forces. Another person is playing the V.C., the Viet Cong, and another person mm-hmm. is playing the, the the North Vietnamese regulars, and they they have oh different agendas, and they win in different ways. So, you kind of want to be playing together for the most part, but at a certain point, allies can fray, alliances can fray because yes, we are beating the pig dog Americans, but but the VC is cleaning up, and they're going to win instead of me. So I may have to start looking after myself. And that may give the Americans a chance to get back in. So it creates this very interesting balance. But let me get to this. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the game we're talking that's about. That's not the game we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about Red Dust Rebellion. This is the very first coin game that is not based in a historical period. It is set in 2250, and it is a revolution on Mars. I Uh-oh. am Uh-oh. so excited. 
the Martian revolts of 2250 and the rise of Martian nationalism. The uh, there will be uh, one player will play the Martian provisional government, which are the Earthers that are here trying to make everything uh, run good. And there are the corporations. The corporation player is Earth-controlled corporations that are trying to you know get their profits out of the bottomless resources on Mars. And then the other side, the insurgency, are the RD, the red dust, the dusters. They're the uh, right. They're the work. They're the workers that are trying to Seems rise like up. Kindred spirits to you, yeah. The dusters, the dusters, yeah. and <laughs> and the oh so weird Church of the Reclaimer, a post-humanist faith that is uh, sort of a cult on Mars that is trying to rise oh up as gosh. well. Why are, I, why are we humans so terrible? Look at what we've done to Mars already. I'm Look so this. in. It's terrible. Did, did you did you see by the way that our that our president for his, he laid out his goals for the next uh, for the next term? Number one was a permanent moon base, and number two was landing a human on Mars within the next four years. That those were those, during a pandemic. That those were priority one and two. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, for those of you who know what a coin game is, uh, some of the interesting things about this particular version uh, is that. The uh, a couple things. One thing is that there is a fifth faction that can come in. There's an Earth government faction. There is satellite warfare. So the the uh, the insurgency has to deal with forces that you can't even fight on the board. Um, the the CR the Church of the Reclaimer they don't use resources the way normally normally you have to spend resources to put units on the board and so on and so forth. Uh, the Church of the Reclaimer units will not use resources at all. Essentially, they're going to be one. Of, they're going to be these shadows that that don't get actions nearly as often. But when they do, they get super sudden moves. So they're kind of. I, I guess the VC is a pretty close uh, analog to them, but it sounds like they use a very different mechanism whereby you, you really aren't going to see them coming. They're not always going to be a presence on the board, but when they come, they're going to they're going to swarm. Which is really you gotta look out for VC venture capital. You gotta look out for VC. <laughs> that's that's what we're that's what we got. That's what we're learning. Or Viet Cong. Or Viet Cong. Um, have you guys you guys played any coin games? Cuba Libre or uh, I have not. I have not. Fire in the lake. Fire in the lake. I I'm I'm like a when it comes to coin games, war games, all that. I actually have not played them, and I have been yearning. I have a war game. I have Maria, and I have been wanting to play that for going on two, maybe three years at this point. That I've been just sitting on this precious game. Once, and, once, you uh, and I, once like, we get back together, we're going to definitely play that. I love that game. Oh my god! I just, I just want to play Maria so badly, so <laughs> badly. I'm, I'm weird. I, I prefer Friedrich, the game that came before it, a, a little bit, but. I think I think Maria is kind of a better game. The thing is, is that Friedrich is much more asymmetrical, and I, I love that about it. But. Yeah. Anyway, uh, coin games are good. Cuba Libre. If you've if you've never played a war game, I think Cuba Libre is a really good first war game uh, from a person that comes from a your game perspective. and a delicious cocktail. Yes, and a Cuba, and that as well, and that as well. That is Red Dust Rebellion. It has just made the the cut in the P five hundred, which is how GMT Games does it. Basically, you a whole bunch of people say that uh, they want to order it, and once enough people order it. Then they start making it. Uh, they have 833 orders to date. And uh, yeah, go check it out. GMT Games. Uh, next up, we have a new Descent game. Descent Legends of the Dark. Uh, for 
anybody that doesn't know, Descent Journeys into the Dark had a first and second edition, a very popular top-level dungeon-crawling game. Beautiful miniatures, really great. Sort of um, before there was Gloomhaven, there was Descent, and that was the game as far as this goes. Um, it is uh, Fantasy Flight is, is putting it out. It looks gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. I won't speak to the miniatures because I, I don't miniature very well. What do you guys think about the, the, the way the miniatures look here? I think they look uh, in theme to what they sent uh, uh, the first two were. And I, you know, and like, I know this is going to be sacrilegious. Go ahead. I actually enjoy Descent more than Gloomhaven. That, that's fair. That's fair. I I famously can't opine because I haven't played. <laughs> I haven't played either. Gloomhaven. I haven't played either. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I haven't played either. Is there true. a game called As- Ascent? Ascent? Is there like I feel like I played Descent, but I thought it was like a I thought it was like a uh, uh, a deck building Going game. Up. Going up. I thought I played a game. I was Asc- rising. Ascension? Are you thinking Ascension? As- Ascension. That's. That's what it is. Yeah, different game. Different game. Yeah, different my, game. <laughs> my favorite part of their news announcement is this big bolded section where it says, is this the third edition of Descent Journeys into the Dark? Descent Legends of the Dark is not the third edition of Descent Journeys into the Dark. I love when they do that. I love when they have the, the question and then, you know, it, it's like third grade writing where, okay, uh, put your thesis statement in the first line, yeah. answer it yeah. in the second line. It, it's it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, I will say here's what the, here's why it's not it's not because this one is a fully cooperative game. Descent is kind of uh, is kind of a game. Uh, Descent Journeys into the Dark is a game in which you are competing. It's it's cooperative, but it's also competitive. You're trying to win the game uh, above and beyond the other players. Legends in the Dark is. Definitely far more cooperative. As a matter of fact, it's an, an entirely cooperative. You are all working together to beat the game. Uh, it has a an app, uh, and the app, evidently from the description, is going to be fully, fully. It, it, it is going to make rulings on the game. It is going to manage all sorts of of aspects of the game. And sounds like it's going to be a very app heavy uh, board game, which. You know, I think in these kinds of games, may it may be a really good idea to do a lot of the yeah. bookkeeping in an app. Yeah, these guys, I feel like these sort of games are like a little immersive. And then when you have to like step away from that immersion to go double check some random rule about this or that, it's kind of can kill the vibe. I, I think I kind of felt that way with um, Seventh Continent, which I really did not enjoy. I mean, yeah. I, I I gave it the college try. I, I, Jesse and I played um, several several nights of it, and it was really fun playing with Jesse. Like I enjoyed the experience of playing with Jesse, but the game itself I started to find was tedious. I think part of that was because it was a lot of like, is this allowed? Can I do this? Mm. Am I allowed to do that? Yeah. Can I do that? You know? Yeah, l- lack of clarity will will kill the the joy of a game really quickly, won't it? Yeah, it really will. So true. Uh, next up, Candace Harris, our friend, has uh, has announced that the Charles S. Roberts Awards, which we talked about earlier, uh, an award that had not been around for a long, long time, is coming back. Uh, the, the announced results are going to be two days from this recording, so it's going to be basically the day this episode comes out. So we, we can't announce what it is now, but if you want to, uh, look up Charles S. Roberts Awards and you will see who won. Uh, and also, there's a interesting little thing from GMT Games. One other thing from GMT Games. Um, Mark uh, Simonovich, uh, 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 Simonich, rather, Simonich, 
had one of the greatest war games of all time, Hannibal, Rome versus Carthage. Two-player, asymmetric. It was the probably the, the game that popularized card-driven war games. Uh, it's astonishing. It is amazing. If you've never played it, you sh- at some point in your life, you should try it once. It is amazing. He has a new game called Caesar, Rome versus Gaul, that uses the exact same system. It uses the uh, Hannibal Rome versus Carthage system. Evidently, if you know how to play Rome versus Carthage, which, you know, it's a war game. It takes a little time. There's Chrome. There's some things you got to learn. Um, but you should be able to slide right into Rome's, uh, you know, Caesar, Rome versus Gaul with no problem. I am definitely that is on my radar now because I, I love the original game. And I would love to play Caesar beating up the French. That, that sounds like a fun time to me. Yeah, why not? Right, right. Uh, I, I, I can't tell if you're talking about salad dressings or history, but I'm <laughs> in support of both. Well, you know, Gaul uh, salad dressing is very popular in certain <laughs> Do you know where the Caesar salad was invented? Mexico. That's right. L.A. That Tijuana. 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 They, I know. Cesar. Very surprising. Cesar uh, was the, the manager of a, a restaurant down there and ran out of uh, ran out of salad dressing and ingredients and, and whipped this thing up. Uh, and the classic uh, Caesar salad does not use anchovies at all, which to me, oh. it, it's it's yeah, that's not that's not how he made it. So I'm like, well, what was it then? Wow. It's just you know, you don't have a lot, you don't have a ton of other ingredients then, but you know. Anyway, who brought the anchovies in? Right, uh, later on somebody did. I don't know. They said we need some, we need some salt, and let, let's do this. I love it with anchovies. I think that's the only oh way to God. do it personally. I, I'm so into anchovies these days. I've like had a total anchovy revolution. There should be a coin game about the anchovies that Me have too. taken over my palate. <laughs> I love them. I, I do. I think. I think it is the. I think it is so much a better way to get your salt into the body, and uh, mm, I think it's yes, really fantastic. Um, Nemo's War. The the solo game has announced a two point version two point one project that is getting ready for a Kickstarter campaign coming up very very soon. Uh, details are thus: there's going to be several different ways the Kickstarter will allow you to access it. You could get just the big expansion, which is essentially what the two point one project is. Um, you could get that plus the first three expansion packs that have already come out for the game. Or you can buy the whole thing. You can buy the, the Nemo's War itself and the expansions. All of those will be available. Um, Maddie, did a, Maddie did a great uh, solo mode on, on the game. I have it. I really, really, I haven't played a full game of it, in, in, you know, if, I, if I'm being 100% uh, uh, candid with you. But I have uh, opened it up. I have played, I, I played it to learn it as it were. So I guess I played about half of, uh, you know, I played a round. I played it like a, like a campaign, like a sh- super short campaign, I guess I would call it, but not to its, not to its completion. I think it's great. I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm glad it's the exactly once you play it, you'll realize, Oh, this is completely the kind of game where you want more expansions because you want, you want Nemo to, to have different conflicts and, uh, you know, different challenges that he encounters. It's crazy good. So, uh, be awesome. on the lookout for it. Kickstarter coming out soon. And uh, let's end with Carnegie. Now, some say people mm-hmm. say Car- Carnegie, but Carnegie, I believe, is the correct pronunciation. Carnegie is a game that is coming out uh, now, basically, I think. Uh, really? Now? I believe right so. Right now. 
I believe so. somebody. <laughs> no, I'm not saying. No, it's I'm, not. Like I'm excited because I saw. It's, not, it's I saw, not coming out now. It's not coming out now. Oh, but it's oh, it's 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 in it's in development. They're working on it. it, it they're going to be getting it out very very soon. Uh, all I need to tell you about this, or all I should need to tell you about this, is that it is the new game by Xavier George or Javier George, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, the guy who designed Twa. Maddie's and Gengopolis. Fav- Maddie's favorite game. Gengop- and, and Gengopolis. And, well, and Dark Angel. But uh, you can't win them all. Uh, the artist is <laughs> Ion O'Toole. It looks fantastic. Uh, Carnegie, as as many people know, uh, came here from Scotland and started off as a, a telegraphist and rose to be the richest man in the world. And 2,500 free libraries in the United States still bear his name. Uh, This is a game where you're going to be investing in real estate, expanding your business, producing and selling goods, creating transport trains uh, trains across the United States. Uh, It sounds like a classic uh, economic engine game, and I love my I love me a classic uh, engine uh, economic engine game. I just saw a map of the United States with icons on it, and I saw player boards that had stuff on it, and I saw the designer's name and the fact that it was named after someone who uh, I don't know much about Carnegie, his personal life. I'm assuming it was probably not great because he's a baron, but uh, he either, but either way, he was like influential with like steel and railroads and things like that. And I'm like, this is a Ben Mandelker game. I just know it already. <laughs> In- I'm ready for it. Insta buy, right? Yeah, that's why I got really excited when he said it's coming out now. That's why I was like, literally no, like, no. this podcast has been fun. I have to go to the internet now and, and, and order this. <laughs> no, uh, no, no release date is yet set, but uh, it'll be it'll be coming. We'll 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 update people when it is due for release. And that was the news. Shall we find out what's on our brain? Yes. Let me start by saying there have been some people on Facebook saying they like the old games on the brain theme better. Or a request for it, definitely. Yeah. They missed it. I, I, I'm not like going to play emotion, it. I have to say. I love this. I love this new version. It kills me. Uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm so over the moon. I'm not playing the old one. Maybe Maddie will play the old one, but I, I love this one. So that's, that's where I sit. Listen, uh, room man, for like, both, like, you know, exactly, and music. You, I'm I'm all about haute cuisine, but I'm also about Popeye's fried chicken. So like you know, yeah. you, they're they're both good. You can't compare them. I think both of these songs are amazing. <laughs> yeah, you hear you know on the radio, you will often hear the original song and you will hear the cover, and you're happy when you hear both, there and uh, it all works. By the way, some of the top chefs in the world love to eat at Popeyes. It's their that's, that's their right. that's what they go to. They they think it. They're like, no, oh, this is really good stuff. Uh, but, right. Wait, can I tell you guys something really quickly? Sure. Last night I had Dave's hot chicken for dinner. Have you guys uh, had Dave's hot chicken? No, I have not. Paul has. Delicious. Yeah, good. Del- really good. It was. It really made my soul very happy. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's I, had I haven't had that, and I haven't had uh, what's the one in Chinatown? <laughs> oh, I'm not. Uh, Howling Ray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, yeah, had, I haven't, I haven't had Helen Ray's either, because I can't wait seven hours for chicken. No, no, do Dave's, do Dave's. <laughs> All right, I'll have to check that out. Um, Paul, let's start with you. What's on your brain? Well, you know, like there was uh, Mr. Jack, but we've done that. Like the thing that I've actually, and it's not really a game, but uh, I do gamify life a little bit, and I'm 
um, like you know, it's been the uh, ACB confirmations uh, mm-hmm. for uh, Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and what I was really interested in is like there are people on my wall who are really criticizing uh, the Democrats for whatever, like you know, for not being tough enough or whatever. But like maybe my uh, there's a misunderstanding on my part. But like I go, isn't this like uh, a rules lawyer thing? Like there's going to be a vote. There's, it's going to be fairly partisan or completely partisan. <laughs> and uh, and there's no reason to bitch about anything because this is not this is the part that's on rails. Yes. You know, yeah. There are other places. That, 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 so I was going like, huh, like this is this is where like knowing the rules can really focus one's outrage. <laughs> mm. oh, I think that's a great point. <laughs> and, and, and so, like you know, I'm going like, "Why are you doing that? That just seems like counterproductive to what you want to do." Like you know, these people aren't screaming hard enough to a, a completely you know lost cause. You know, it, it's just it was just interesting. Right. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah, that's not my brain. What about you, Ben? What's on your brain? Uh, I feel like I have a really good game games on the brain uh, offering for you this time around. Ooh. So. Um, uh, first, and for, the thing that's most recently on my brain is that I woke up this morning and for some reason I went on to Board Game Bliss and I saw that they have the um, new expansion for Gugong on sale, uh, the one that works with the, the standard retail version, which is what I have, not the deluxe one. So I just like, nice. I literally woke up and bu- just bought it. I just like, Whoa! I just bought it. And um, and I just, so, so I'm really excited. I didn't even know that was really available. And then, um, so I'm excited for that. And then there are two Kickstarters that I'm really Really, they're really just sitting right there on my brain. Uh, first, Grand Osher Hotel's expansion, Let's Waltz. The Kickstarter was launched, like, uh, I think yesterday, a day or two ago, basically, from when we recorded. Yes. And so they revealed the new modules, which include this, like, ballroom thing. And um, I think there's going to be a fix for the, the, the turn order, which was a big controversial thing. It never really bothered me that much the snake order of the of, on Grand Austria Hotel, but it bothered enough people that it somehow seeped into my consciousness and that kind of affected my view of the game. It's sort of one of those annoying things where like my experience with Grand Austria Hotel has always been wonderful, but somehow I let external forces make me like it a little bit less. So um, either way, I'm excited for for this, um, this Kickstarter. I've already backed it because I love Grand Austria Hotel and I kind of want to like return to it a little bit. I feel like I've sort of, I've sort of uh, moved away from it these past few years. So I'm excited to get back to it for that. Um, and then the other game that's majorly on my, I have two minor games on my brain, Bonfire, because <laughs> I'm intrigued by it. And Stop categorizing things. Just say it. <laughs> Bonfire and Praga Caput Regni. I'm just really excited for that one. That's the new um, Vladimir Suchi game about... Yep. Prague, which I'm, I just cannot wait for that. Um, but also, uh, there's a game out on Kickstarter called Crescent City Cargo. Um, and the designer is Jason Dinger, who did um, Captains of the Gulf, which I never played, but I heard was super fun. And Crescent City Cargo is basically you're in New Orleans and you are working in like a like a shipyard, essentially, and you are picking up goods from the shipyard and putting them onto boats and trains or or trucks and things like that. <laughs> and uh, it's like full on lo- logistics, but it's there's also like but it's like rondelles, and so it's like all my favorite things: rondelles, logistics, like um, <laughs> you know, a shipyard, uh, which <laughs> is strange because I'm not like into shipyards in real life, but in board games, I'm like all about them. I love so, shipyards um, in board games. 
Sure. Yeah, they're like Lahav yeah. and and uh, Container, and I lo- I love every single one of them. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like really intrigued by this game, but um, there's no playthrough video yet, and there, there's only one video, and it's kind of like long and kind of monotonous. So it's really hard to get a sense of the game from it. Um, so I'm I I there's I really want to back this. Um, and I, it's from Spielworks, by the way. And Ooh, so I, I've read sign. the rules, et cetera. But um, I really I feel like I need to see I'm on the fence. I need to see a video. And I'm just hoping that they are able to put up a video before the, the Kickstarter ends, because I'm really it's I mean, it's got it's got trucks and trucks and trains and boats. So <laughs> look, if 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 Maddie was on the podcast with us right now, he would be the. I don't know if he'd be the angel or the devil, but I would be wearing one costume on one shoulder and he would be on the other. And I would be saying, I, but I think I would be the angel and I'd be on your shoulder, but they poof. And I'd be like, Ben, no, you can always buy it. You can always buy it when it comes out. Wait, if they're not, if they're having a Kickstarter and it's going to end before they even show you how the game is, that's a warning sign. You should wait. True. And Maddie would, and Maddie with the pitchfork would be there and be like, no, get it. You got to get it. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> oh, want no. it. You can always, yeah, no, you can always sell right? it. Like, like, what do you feel is worse? Like FOMO or uh, the loss of how, how much does it cost for the what? Kickstarter? Yeah, I Maddie's uh, going to say you can remember. sell it for almost uh, almost the, the 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 going price. So that's what so, that's what so well, I mean. The, there you go. the thing is, the original game, Captains of the Gulf, people people really enjoyed it, and it was Spielworks, and it had like this tiny run, and now yeah. you can't really get it. And so there's also that element, which is something that drives me nuts with board gaming. Yeah. Is and that's probably what drives most of my purchases is the feeling that artificial like, scarcity, artificial <laughs> yeah. scarcity. And I'm such a slave to it. I cannot help it. Like or if someone says, scarcity, really, I bought the game expansity and I haven't even played it. And I bought it. I was, I was always like, oh, that game looks sort of cool. And then one day I saw it was like out of print everywhere. And then I saw it in a game store. I was like, well, it's out of print everywhere. I got to get I got to get expansity. And, you know, now it's back in print. And I'm just like, what? Now I've got expansity, you know? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Like you know, diamonds and board games. The, the market is just terrible as far as the, the manipulation of that. <laughs> look, <laughs> like. look. If it's on Kickstarter, it'll come out, and you will have an opportunity to buy it. And by that point, there will be videos up and all that sort of stuff. It's not like it's not like the scarcity hits immediately. It's like a month or two after it has come out. Then you might not be able to find copies, right? Well, maybe I'll find. Maybe I can find a mod if I find a, if I can find a mod on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, try it and out. give it a whirl. Then that will also that will also change it up. But it, I mean, it looks honestly, it looks very very fun. Look, you know, you you may be relatively new to the hobby, but you have really good taste in games, Ben. I mean, oh, thank the, the, you. You really do. And so uh, my thing to you is that look. You are uh, not every game is going to to push the button. Like your 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 bar is already pretty high. It's got to be pretty darn great for it to be something that you're going to want to keep. So, you know, until until you can see a playthrough or play through it yourself, I, I'm in. I'm definitely in the camp of I'm going to wait on this. If it's not if it's not a designer that I'm 100% dead on with, like like Carnegie, I don't need to know a thing about it. I know who the designer is. I know what the theme is. I'm getting it. No question yeah. about it. No question about uh, it. On, Why do I feel like you're on the me other hand? Uh, on the other hand, like you know, like. Uh, you may be uh, sparing yourself uh, a month or two of like going, ah, I should have bought that. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, or, yeah. You know, for, 
for for a pittance of you know like you know like you know you you have disposable income I assume now Paul's so, like, been you know, on your shoulder so, <laughs> and so like you know like why would you put yourself through that emotional ringer when you have like you know the opportunity to uh, to bypass that with no real impact uh, to your life look at that such a salient argument and it's so effective on me <laughs> no, it's so don't, don't do it <laughs> this is why no this is why i really said like it feels like dating advice like, this is what it feels like it's like i don't know but he didn't write back to me like no ben you're better than that you don't need someone to write back to you like that's what you i'm saying want someone that's into you it's like no but that's I what i'm saying and paul is saying you works. should you should text him he probably just he probably lost your number you should text him yeah paul is yeah paul is I don't know, but the thing is that, like in the past, <laughs> Paul is the one that that has always wins out, both in purchasing board games and how I approach dating. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, because the because the the because the devil would not exist if he were not if he were not selling something infinitely more attractive than good, right? Yeah, I think I'm starting to realize that Paul is the sidekick, but he's like. The Iago sidekick. Yes, now. yes, yes. He's Iago. Oh man. Speaking, speaking of speaking of feeling bad about things, on my brain, I was like, for the last week or two, I've been in a little bit of a funk, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, like there's something, and I knew it was game related, but I couldn't quite tell what it was, and then I realized what it is. This week, it hit me that for the first time since 2000. I will not have my election month democker. Ah, yes, yes. 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, every single time, sometime within the last three weeks before the election, I would host a huge, brawling, just awful democker game. Just, just the best. Like table flipping, everybody going nuts. Something about the energy of the election coming up, the stakes of that, just filters down into Demacher and everything becomes super elevated and, and super, super huge and super important. And this is going to be the first year that we're not going to do that. And can, is there, can you do it? Is there any way you can do it? There's still time. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's just not the same online, it's, especially Demacher. It's, yeah. it's not the same online, you know? It's like... When oh, I yeah. when I when I jab the dagger into Paul's cold dark heart and and I feel the the lukewarm black blood dripping over my hands and I see hope die in his eyes, that's amazing. I can't do that online. I can't do yeah. that online. It's just not, it's not the same. I, I am a little sad too because one, you know, Democker is the first game that I saw you lose your cool oh yeah like, uh, <laughs> it was it's like it's like ah uh, this will always go like this is it the, you know there you know the armor is not you know uh impenetrable <laughs> he is bleeding uh the king bleeds it bleeds <laughs> it bleeds <laughs> right or no it's it's and, the it's the end yeah, of okay. starship troopers it's uh, afraid <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's exactly what. So it was, you know, and so Demock will always have a, a, a you know, a, a place in my heart for that. And you know, and you do do a great job of like, you know, creating little placards for the uh, candidates. Uh, and you know, and this particular election is probably a big one. It could be the end of uh, humanity. Democracy. Yeah. <laughs> so, democracy. Humanity. Period. It's gonna be okay. 
Everything's going to be End okay. Of a lot of things. Everything's yeah. going to be okay, guys. Don't worry about it. It's going okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad. It, it brings me great sadness. I'm that, sorry. That the that streak. That's a long streak. I mean, think well, about that. That is, that is, we were doing this five years before Agricola came out. We were playing yeah. this game at this time of, uh, of year every four years. Ah, it's, it's That's a uh, bummer. Sorry. Yeah. Ah, what can you do? What can you do? And then in other news, um, I'll give a Dungeons and Dragons update, as I said the, the, the last oh, yeah. time we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did the first session, and there was a little pre-session, too. Um, Jim Fitzgerald is an interesting fella. He is, he is doing the, the DM job in a different way. He said, he said okay, you're going to pick a, a color, you know, and he gave me a list of colors. I picked the color, and he tells me in this town where we all live who my family is. Right, so he's built out the the town. So we, mm-hmm. sure, sure. you know, he's got a Facebook page and and it's got you know he's profiles of all these different people. And I'm like, wow, why did you do that? Why didn't we, you know, talk about who we are? And he said, because you can't choose your family. <laughs> I was like, that, yeah, that yeah, is awesome. Wow, that and, is and you submit. And awesome. You submit. I loved it, and so we did that, and then we did like a, a sort of getting to know you first first session, and it was a joy. It was absolute joy. Um, my friend Andrew Andrew Ryer, who's a, a friend uh, a friend of the pod, comes to our our game nights in Los Angeles when he is out here, which is like four or five times a year, just not this year. Um, he is playing a uh, really grumpy, really annoying magic user, and he's very method. He is like he's completely. He looks I don't know, like, are you okay, Andrew? He's like, what? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. Because he's just so just grumpy and annoyed and supercilious and and just just above it and above everyone, and he's really in character. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's cool. Didn't know, didn't expect that. Uh, the guy who played Dungeons and Dragons the least, I'm just loving a friend of mine named Mark. Um, yeah, I'm having a great time. I'm uh, I, I unfortunately the almost everybody in the Dungeons & Dragons game, listens to our podcast. So I can't tell you. I want to give you the tea. I want to let you know. I want to give you, give you the secrets about what I'm doing with my, with my character and what's going on. I will tell you this. I'm playing a monk. And uh, randomly, uh, Jim assigned me that, that I uh, am the uh, son, the adopted son of the wheelwright, who is the richest man in town. So I'm... Definitely playing him a little like a Keanu Reeves type, like uh, Keanu Reeves from um, what was the Gus Van Sant movie? Um, my own private Idaho. Yes, my own private Idaho, where he's the you know the the rich kid that's slumming it, right? So that's yeah. that's that's the way I'm 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 doing it. He's he's the he's the rich kid that is you know realized that uh, that that uh, you know he gets basically inducted into a cult and now he is a and now he's a first level a first level monk who is uh, uh, has seen the light and is uh, foregoing all of his previous uh, wealth and possessions and all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> it's and, and and what's great is like uh, karate men don't bleed. Karate men don't bleed on the inside. On the inside. <laughs> on yeah, the I, inside. Having a I, great time. Have another session tomorrow. So the next time we do uh, we do uh, this podcast, I'll give you uh, another update. the The adventure hasn't really started per se, but we we have done sort of an initial getting to know you, getting to know your, your the area and all that sort of stuff. And I think we got a great group of people. I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Good. Uh, and you're playing uh, AD&D, right? Not even second edition. You're just like we're playing up AD&D. first edition AD&D, which I realize 
is the last version of Dungeons and Dragons that I ever played. I have no, not. I've uh, never played it. I, I have that, a lot of FOMO. I feel like a lot of people in this pandemic have started to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and um, I'm just here, just with um, oh Ben, like Dragon Envy. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, there there is actually like you know a service that can be done where uh, there are DMs uh, that will hire themselves online to run campaigns. Wow! Like you, you can join campaigns. It's a, it really depends on the uh, what you call it the uh, the prestige of the DM. Like you know, yeah. Some some will cost like twenty dollars a session. Some will cost like free. You know, like hmm. you could just. I know you don't like playing online uh, with strangers, but like you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen. I think I'll 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 wait on that one on that on that opportunity. See, see, the devil doesn't always get you. He was trying to get you. Yeah. To, he was trying to get you to pay to play Dungeons and Dragons. There is nothing lower in this world <laughs> than that. I mean, that is that is a new rock bottom. That is that is really anonymous Dungeons and Dragons. Your perspective and mine are so so different, Tom. This is a wavelength uh, incompatibility at this point. <laughs> I suppose it is. Listen, guys, we are we are quickly burning through our time, so let us jump into our game review. We are reviewing Field of Arl. It is a 2014 game by Uva Rosenberg, the master. The art is done by the always exceptional Dennis Lohansen, uh, Hausen, and the publisher in the United States is Z-Man Games. Ben, tell us, what is this amazing kind of, well... The initial game, two-player, uh, Uva Rosenberg game, and tell us about it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you about it. I'm also going to tell you a little bit about why I was drawn to it for this this week's episode. Please. Um, this is a game I actually purchased it. Uh, I guess maybe about three or four years ago. I was in Toronto, and Toronto has amazing board game shops. And I saw it on the shelf, and I had seen uh, online on Board Game Geek. Uh, I had seen on various blog posts people playing Fields of Arl, and I know people are really into it. And I always saw these cute, adorable sheep and cows. And the box is just like this beautiful blue box with like a sky and there's like a windmill. And it's just like, I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this big, chunky box. I guess that's my thing. I get giant board games when I'm not at home. And so (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let me use up all of my luggage. Treat yourself. (laughs) Yeah, so I got it, and um, uh, even though it was only one to two players, I still thought it would be good to have like a really fun, big two-player option, two-player-only option. At this point, it was before the expansion TN Trade came out, which we'll be talking about, too. Um, and basically, Fields of Arl is like, I kind of feel like it's the ultimate farming game. You know, uh, Uwe Rosenberg, you know, he's famous for Agricola, Feast, Feast for Odin, all these farming games. And this one is... It's actually really easy to explain. It's just you are just building a, a giant farm and you have player boards and the game is all about like how you're going to build your farm. You can um, you can grow fields, you can grow flax field, you can grow wheat field, you can um, build a forest, you can uh, you can turn your forest into a park, you can you can put in some stalls that way your animals can mate you can upgrade those stalls to to stables so even, even more animals can mate you can maybe turn them into double double stalls you can um build buildings that will give you um in in most cases a really strong uh immediate action sometimes you'll get a an ongoing power from the buildings you can um uh you can you, you can slaughter your animals to get food you can slaughter your animals to get to get hides that you can turn into leather 
Um, so a real departure read, for Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> a real departure. Um, the other thing is that this takes place in Arl, which is, I think, where he is from. And so uh, a lot of times this game is referred to as a very uh, autobiographical game, as much as a board game can be <laughs> autobiographical. Um, but but um, uh, a lot of like his his life is apparently reflected in this game. And 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 so there's also your field, your whole farm area. There are these they're bogs, they're moors. And so you have to, you one thing that you can also do in, do in the game and that you're encouraged to do is to drain the moors so that way they can become workable pieces of land. And then when you drain the moors, then they then you can actually get peat and you use peat as a resource. There's like about a million resources in this game. Yeah. Um, and you use, and you you buy which vehicles, is, which is weird because be- Elder doesn't Elder doesn't love this game. How does he Elder not love doesn't this game love it? It's with well, so many there, resources. There are only actually like. Six resources, right? There, there's. It, it feels a lot because you're manipulating it all the time. But there are only actually six. Maybe no, no, four. no. Well, because then there are also the tiles. So the tile resources are are, are different. Yeah, so I think there's it's like probably a fine 12. line, right? Because there's, sure? there's 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 because there's like the resources like wood and clay and peat, which are sort of like your building block resources. But then you have goods, and then you have goods track. There's just like a million things that you can like basically track and gather and use. Um, you can get vehicles. Some of the vehicles, you can upgrade those very resources. Uh, or you can go traveling. And when you go traveling, you can <laughs> you can uh, get food out of it. And then you get to go up this traveling path. There's literally a thousand different directions. But here, what I'm going to do now is tell you about what sort of makes this unique, like a, a unique farming game. Mm. Um, the main thing is that the game takes place over um, four and a half years. And it's sort of like it's there's like a winter season and a summer season, more or less. And in the and in the winter season, you can only do winter actions. In the summer season, you can only do summer actions. Um, and one thing, though, is that uh, once per round, someone can do an action that's out of season. And when they do that, they potentially um, uh, forfeit being starting player the next round. So there's like a little bit of brinksmanship of like when you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, if you're going to give up your starting player and that uh, that as well. There's also um, a lot of the actions ha- are linked to various tracks, and uh, those tracks will determine the power of that action. So, for instance, if I wanted to uh, uh, gather wood, if I was if I were at sort of the, the the starting point on that track, I go there, I can gather three pieces of wood. But as I improve on that track, I can go to that action spot and gather six pieces of wood. So that's another way that the the game is, is sort of unique. And and um, I think like the uh, I think those are like the two major things that make the game unique. And then the rest is just like about how you manage your animals, how you manage your board. There are dikes that you also have to like, you know, build your sort of expanding, pushing back the, the water line, things like that. Tom, are there things, are there elements you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of missing here? I'm just trying to give like a high level. I think you covered here. it pretty well. Um, uh, let's, let's put it in context of the, uh, of the other games like this by Uva. Um, in comparison to Agricola, this has no cards, so there is no there is no hand of cards that any uh, that anybody has. What you see is what you get on on the board. Uh, there are more action spaces per player by a large. Uh, a large amount, so there are many, many more places, which means there's less player blocking that goes on in the game. Matter of fact, most of the major actions have so many places, like like building a building. There's I think three spaces on the winter and the summer side of the board. 
that you can that you can take that action or something along those lines. So there's like three in the side. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. easy. There's it's not easy lot. to block a person in this game. Um, much. Uh, much like um, Oren Labora, Oren Labora, you can purchase extra land so that you can put more things out. In this case, there's a dike system where you are basically drying out the land. You're moving the dikes further and farther, further out to get more land. You have peat bogs that you have to turn in, you have to dry out to turn into peat and then free that up for for land once you've taken once you've taken the peat out. So it, it creates something like that, and also like uh, Oren Labora. A lot of the game is about gaining resources and then upgrading them to their better for. So taking lumber and turn, uh, or taking wood and turning it into lumber, taking clay and turning it into bricks, and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I guess like uh, Caverna, the all of the buildings that are available in the game are out there for you to uh, uh, for you to mm. grab right off the bat, and uh, you can look at it and you can kind of uh, it, it's good strategically as opposed to tactically because you can start to put together a plan. You can say, okay, I think probably this building and this building go really well together. I can start to go that way. And then if I see that my opponent has uh, has gotten an edge in getting those things, I can come up with a with a plan B and I can, you know, zig and zig and zag. Uh, in that sense, the two-player aspect of it is very interesting because there is – you. I think when you're playing well, you're paying attention to what the other person is doing, so you know what uh, what what resources they're going to be going for and what general strategy they're going to be going for. There's no hidden information whatsoever. Correct. Like this is actually a game that would be amazing as um, on board game arena, or um, uh, yeah, I mean board game arena yeah. would be great because again, there are so many resources. And there's no hidden information, which means that you could really have a very um, robust undo system with the game, which mm. we always like with our online implementations. Yes, we do. Because everything, when you start the game, there's all, there's a very small amount of randomness at the beginning. Almost all the buildings are going to be the same, except for, I don't know, like a small handful. Is, but isn't it that half? being said, that small handful makes a difference. Yeah, I th- thought it's half, isn't it? Half of the buildings are fixed and uh, half are random? I think it's more than half. Okay, all right. Uh, I don't know, I could be wrong. It's, but either way, it's... There's still like a lot of fixed stuff and and whatever the randomness is, there's like the only randomness in the game are those initial buildings that the way they get put out and then everything from that point on, it's just like, here's here are all the tools for you and you go ahead and have fun. When you describe it as an autobiographical game, I just have to laugh. I'm like, oh, in, it what, is. in what way? <laughs> I mean, other than like, I would love it. I would love it if there were the little little cardboard chits for the milkmaid or whatever, and then you flip it over, and it, and it's like a little autobiography. It's like her name was Lottie. She was my first well, love. She well, she went and slept with that, Lars instead. <laughs> it's funny that you say that actually, because uh, the game has an expansion called Tea and Trade. And that expansion came, it comes with a big old uh, booklet that is nothing but flavor text. It is, there's no rules in it. It's just like, <laughs> here's what, it's, it, there's like a paragraph for every single action. I, I've actually, of course, because it's, I'm a, a terrible person, I didn't read any of it. But like, oh, come on. You know, some, sometimes people are like, this is funny. Why is there this action? And there is an explanation for everything. So the whole thing, he, he has actually really put in his like, yeah. His heart into this thing, so I guess that's why people say it's autobiographical. So you but I know like, what you're saying. It would be funny if there's actual people from his life that were like, 
on the spots. Like you know. the year was 1986. Uncle Lars got trapped in the in the peat bog and was not discovered for seven days. <laughs> he became a bog man. Uh, that's so great. Um, so talk, yeah, so talk about tea and trade a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, so tea and trade introduces a few things. First of all, it gives you the potential to play with a third person. Um, it also introduces the idea of tea. And basically, tea is a new resource that lets you kind of do certain actions supercharged. You know, when we talked about the actions that have the tracks, um, you can spend a tea and then you can do um, an action like if you were going to collect, if you're only entitled to to get to get three wood from the woodcutter, let's say, uh, but you spend a tea, you would get like a fourth wood. You would sort of do the action as if you were a little higher on the track than you actually are. And then you can upgrade that tea. Is it East Frisian tea? I hope I'm saying that correctly. It might be East Frisian. I'm not sure. But um, uh, I, I call it fancy tea. And when you do fan, when you got fancy tea, you can actually basically do an action as if you were too higher up on the track or... Perhaps more importantly, yeah. you can spend two fancy tea to do an action twice. You get like a double shot of that action right there because that take, tea is so good. It's such that, good tea. Ben. Take that, Take yeah. that. That's my that's my action. That's what I do. Yeah. So that was that's what that's the the main thing. And then there's um, it also introduces a thing where you can you can build ditches and ditches. Um, they sort of accelerate the process of being able to. Uh, to drain out your bogs and they allow for uh, more robust sheep, sheep herding, uh, not herding, sheep breeding. And also uh, they kind of augment a strategy. If you want to build, if you want to grow a lot of flax uh, fields or, or wheat fields, uh, ditches facilitate that too. It's supposed to be um, just reading online uh, and the base game. People really felt like the, uh, the flax and wheat field strategy uh, because if you if you do that strategy, what basically happens is that at the end of every year you gain you know sort of complementary wheat and flax income as as it were as it's normally known, and so people feel like uh, that strategy is a little weak in the base game. So the ditches help that up. So and then and then it also introduces boats, and boats let you get things like tea and other resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the other Uvo game we should mention with regard to this game is Feast for Odin. Uh, Feast Roden yeah. has a ton of action spaces, so many action spaces that you can place your Vikings out on. Fields of Arl feels a little bit like that. It's like a, a yeah. slightly lesser version of of that. Um, in in that, in uh, Feast for Odin, you're placing workers out, and you can place one, two, three, or even four workers on a space, and, and the spaces actually require that number in order to take those more powerful actions. Fields of Arl doesn't have anything like that, uh, it's just, it, it's very simple. You put out one of your, you only have four workers. You always only have four workers and you, you put them out. And so you're going to have in the nine rounds of the game, you're going to have 36 actions, which is why the double T action where you get to take the same action twice is so powerful. As we all know, action economy often in these games is the most important economy, uh, yeah. which, you know, which created an interesting situation in in the game that that, that Ben and I played it, it was oh, yeah. the tea was going heavy tea seemed to be a very powerful strategy you know I haven't played it enough to to, to know if that's going to pan out or if that's uh, easy easily counterable which brings Tom me to, had a very robust tea engine he he created he he used those boats in the expansion and he had a whole thing like tea comes in tea gets upgraded it was a whole thing and um, he just went to town and he destroyed me by about 50 points or so 
admittedly, I also played a horrific, horrific game, and I had a dysfunctional, terrible farm <laughs> that no no one in Arl should be proud of. Well, yeah. I, I Here's my question for you. Um, is this game multiplayer solitaire? In, well, so yes. there are only two things that are not multiplayer solitaire about it. One is that if you buy a building, I can't buy that building. And the second thing is if you go on a space, I can't go on that exact space. But the truth is, is that there is another space you can go to where you pay two food, which is pricey, but not undoable, almost never undoable. Uh, where I can still take that, I could still take that action. There are many, many spaces for some of the major actions where you can go and do basically the same, the same thing as the building action. There are three spaces, two spaces, where you can do the building action. Uh, it, it starts to feel, you know, in in Agricola, the player interaction is I grab the five wood, haha. You can't get the five wood, right? Yeah. It's a good player interaction. That is that is deep. That is powerful, right? In um, you know, in in uh, uh, Lahav, when you go on a when you go on a building and you take that action, that building is closed for business and nobody can go there. And the timing of that is heavily heavily uh, uh, competitive in player versus player. Uh, uh, there's a lot of that. Um, this game feels. Uh, here's the thing, I have a, a notorious aversion to multiplayer solitaire. Do not like it. Paladins of the West Kingdom. I pan because it is it is way too multiplayer solitaire for me, and yet I really like Fields of Arl. So how how is it that even though it is very multiplayer solitaire, listen, it, the more spaces well, that you can go to, right, the the less competition there is for any one particular space necessarily, right? Uh, why why is it that I why is it that I still like this game so much even though. If if you wanted to do the the T boat strategy, you could have done the exact same strategy as me with relatively no problem. And once I started down the the T the boat strategy, there was no way for you to stop me. There was nothing that you could do that would impact me in any way because I I am an island to my own, and I don't like that. I don't like that, and yet I still well, like the game. So so to get back to your original question, yes. is this multiplayer solit solitaire? I have a very definitive answer for you, which is yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, my, my experience with this game is that, um, it can be multiplayer solitaire very, very easily, and it can also be the exact opposite very easily. And in fact, this is sort of in line with a lot of my experience with this game in general, which is that it is a, I actually think it's a very, very deep game and it's a surprising game. And that it it has a lot of surprises in it, and it and it keeps revealing new aspects to it. And so, just when you sort of think you have the game figured out, or just when you sort of think you know what you're going to do with it, it like there's an it's like oh it's there's this oh I thought this was a a, a multiplayer solitaire game, but now I'm like deeply like somehow connected to this other player's things that they're doing and then oh but this game i'm actually in my own world i i feel like i'm actually having very different experiences when i play it huh. so i i'm gonna say yes and no i'm gonna expand upon that but i actually also kind of want to hear what paul has to say about this because i know paul is sort of gets different things from games than necessarily what what we do and and, and paul and i were talking about this after one session and i i would love to hear what you think about it paul in terms of multiplayer solitaire 
thank you, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see. I, uh, I do, like, when I think of, say, Agricola, I feel like, and this is, might be a really esoteric comparison, I feel like it's Tron Cycles. Do you remember the movie Tron? Anyone? Mm-hmm. Anyone? And, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, you take an action, and then it's like a right angle, and then the other person has to adjust immediately or die. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you know, when you go to Feast for Odin, I feel like uh, Rosenberg decided to try a different mechanic. Whereas, like, someone will take an action, you can't take that, but you can kind of adjust, like, just, like, nudge your strategy. And so, uh, because there are so many other good options to take that no, nothing it just changes your overall strategy a little bit maybe it only changes it tactically for that round but like in the end like i feel like if you're playing it right when you're playing this right it should feel a lot more like wrestling where there are moves and counter moves that are without the adrenaline not the adrenaline the testosterone and like you know just crushingness about it where you're kind of gently just like maybe it's like Tai Chi or something like Tai Chi battle or whatever, where it's this soft kind of like flowing with each other. And at the end, uh, someone will win and it doesn't feel as confrontational, but at the same time you're interacting. Does that make sense? Am I crazy? It does. And that's sort of what I was getting at, which is that the first time I played this game. So I, 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 I came back from Toronto and I was so excited to have this big, this big crazy game. And, um, I, I opened it up. And I decided to play it solo. And I'm not, I don't play solo a lot, but I decided to play solo. And I was kind of like, oh. I was like, first of all, there's like a million, million pl- actions that you can do. And admittedly, like I said, there is like summer actions and winter actions. So you really only have half those actions available at any given moment. But you kind of don't because you may have the potential to take the other half if the special action hasn't been taken, which is the out-of-season action. So you sit there and there's just like all these things you could be doing. And in terms of, and I want to get back to that in a moment, but in terms of multiplayer solitaire. So in the beginning, you're just sort of like doing your thing. But this is a game that rewards um, repeated plays. Because the more you play it, the more you have an idea of a a path you want to take or what things you know you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so the first time I played it, I'm, I'm sorry, the way that that relates to multiplayer uh, solitaire versus not is that like when you know what you need to be doing and when you know what the other person needs to be doing, all of a sudden you can engage with the game in a much more enmeshed way as opposed to when you're just like dealing with your own farm. Also, uh, last night I actually got to play this three player, which I was very, very excited about. I had never gotten to play it three player. And whoa, it's not multiplayer solitaire at three player. I mean, it sort of is because you got your farm. But wow, it tightens up a lot. And oh god, I kept on getting blocked. And um, my farm, <laughs> I, I actually did the worst I ever did in the game. I had the, my worst score of all time. My farm was a pathetic, you know, semi-boggy mess by the end <laughs> because people kept getting in my way. It definitely felt very interactive. And on top of that, the uh, the the special action changes a lot. Not that much, but when you have like th- when you have three people. The special action changes just enough that there is more consideration about like when am I going to do an out of season action that it becomes interactive in that way. So, so yeah. I think that as you play it more, it does actually become more engaging, or maybe just at the higher player count. Because I felt that or, way when I was playing when I was playing two player. Like I played two 
two player a, a lot. I own the game, um, but now that you know we played it recently and playing with the with the tea and trade expansion. I, I got this sense that I'm like, wow, you know what? If there was just one more player soaking up some of these spaces, yeah, there'd be some harder decisions. So, you know, to use Paul's Paul's metaphor about the 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 lighter, nudgier interaction, I you know, I'm I'm into I like a knife fight in a phone booth. Right, I yeah, like me that. Too. I love that. Ooh, so, uh, so give me, give me brass. Give me, you know, give me Age of Steam. You know, just, you know, Democker. Give, you know, I, let's let's go at it. Let's have some. Let's have some fun. Uh, while this may not quite be multiplayer solitaire, it, it ain't. And I find a phone booth. This is a tickle fight. It's not. This is a tickle fight. That's what this it is. is. A, this is. It is uh, you know, yeah, like or maybe that. it's just like, like a regular like knife that. fight. <laughs> which is like not something you want to be in anyway, right? Like yeah. I think I don't like a knife fight in like a regular sized room is still pretty scary to me. Yeah. So like this is I a tickle a, fight. At, at most, all I'm doing is is um you know you, you're gonna you're gonna move a few feet away from me to get away from the from the tickle monster, and then you're gonna proceed a, <laughs> proceed on your way. This is a knife fight in an open concept layout, and I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so, but that being said, though. So, okay, so now I'm going to get back to what I talked about with the big... I keep saying this. I'm going to get back to that, but I really... Here's what I'm going to get back to now. When I talked about how, like, there are all this... When I first opened up, there was all these spots. I... The, honestly, the first few times I played this game, I was like, yeah, it's cool, but it was missing that urgency, the sharp right turn of the Tron cycle that I would get from Agricola and so many other games. I mean, anyone who plays with me knows that I, I, I like to spend half, half the game going, oh, I'm so stressed. No, oh. Like, yeah. that's for some reason, like, a, like a <laughs> I love it. masochistic pleasure. Me too. And this game, the first few times I played it, I was like, oh, okay. Like, it, I didn't feel... I didn't feel a noose tightening around my neck. I was just sort of doing things, right? And I was like, this game's cool, but I don't understand why people are like losing their mind over it online, right? Mm -hmm. But every single time I've played this game, I've liked it more and more and more to the point where I think I might be at the point now where I think I love the game. And it's, I have never really, I don't really, usually if I'm sort of like meh on a game, it usually sort of stays meh. And um, this game, you, in the beginning, I, I feel like I've seen it with every new person who plays this game. Everyone is completely overwhelmed with choices. They don't know what to do, and they don't know how any of this works together. Like, why do I care about hides? Why do I care about wool? And I don't have any answers. I was like, well, because sometimes wool matters, and sometimes hides matter. It depends on what you do. It's hard to see how all these pieces all work together. But as you play and you gain, gain experience, you start to have like this um, awareness that, like, hmm, I could get some hides. I could start developing hides. And then if I do that, then I could do this, which then means I could do that. And it's like a beautiful mind and things start to come together. Mm-hmm. And then once you start knowing what you can do and knowing how how little time there is to do what you need to do, that noose suddenly is there and it's tight. And it's like, how did this game just become so tense for me? It used to be such a, a light, like I'm just building a, a farm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess what you're saying. Oh, sorry, Paul, you go ahead. I was going to say, like, to me, like, I look at this as the transition between chess and go, where, like, chess is very much in your face and you are, and you're, it can be, it's, it's very punchy, you know, it's very uh, testosterone-y and you're, and you're breaking through, you're getting, whereas go is a lot more gentle and the strategy is much more subtle. Mm. Uh, and, and in this way, like, you know, 
Go has, you know, you look at the Go board and, you know, it's just nothing, right? It's just a grid. Mm. And you're just placing black or white, you know, uh, I guess, tokens. And it doesn't, it doesn't look like there is going to be a lot of uh, depth to it. How could there be so much depth? For, for just this grid but like when you play it you'll find that like you know the more you understand uh the more actual complexity it is it, it relieves you of uh fighting only with with you know uh with your fist and like requires a, a more gentler long-term approach which i feel like you know like feast for odin and and this game like you know it, it really there's a push towards that does that make sense yeah, I'm being yeah. crazy, and uh, and I feel like that's probably what you're responding to. Like you know, there is this uh, sense of like uh, from from overwhelming freedom to like control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, just my thought. I mean, yeah, this is more sandboxy. You can yeah. do sure. a lot of different things, and you know, let's think of Red Dead Redemption. You know, a huge sandboxy world. If there were, if I was playing Red Dead Redemption with you, Paul, and our only goal in the game was to treat it like Goldeneye, where we were just trying to kill each other, that's horrible, right? We'd be searching for each other for hours before we find each other, right? And you know, it, it's just not—it's not the right thing. It's you can't have an sure. I fight in a phone book, phone booth when you have a huge sandbox world. So it's kind of—it's kind of a different thing. But I, once again, I like this game. I yeah. like this game. Yeah. And I did not think that I could like a, a game that is very multiplayer solitaire. Same. This is very multiplayer so, solitaire. I think well, it's because when you're doing a multiplayer solitaire game, what you're essentially doing is you're each playing your own puzzle and then you're comparing puzzles at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And there are small interactions that alter what you're doing, but you're still putting together a puzzle. I think just, it's just that Fields of Arl is such a good puzzle. It's, it is, and it's, yeah. it is, and you know, it's also a lovely game. Let's, yeah. uh, you know, we we don't often just sit and say this is a lovely game, but this is a lovely game. Like you, yeah. I'm not talking about the art. The art, the art is actually also lovely. Although I, 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 I don't. I wish I had slightly better fonts. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but you know, when you sit there and you've got your farm board and you are placing your things down and your fields or whatever, it comes to life and you've got these adorable little animeeples and um, you can sort of also just enjoy this game just as a pure exercise of building a farm. And it feels like you're building a farm, which is a really, which is also important too. Like you, you know, you talk when you get your little animals, your horses, people wind up talking to their animals saying, Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Horse. I have to like hook you up to a wagon now, or, Oh, they're going to have babies now. Or like you wind up like talking affectionately about your farm or, or in my case, it'll be like, Oh, this is a miserable farm with like, like three flax fields that are sad and whatever. But there's actually something really nice about creating this little world on, right in front of you. Like it, it sort of leans into that aspect mm-hmm. of Agricola um, and even though there is feed your people, it's kind of funny that there's there is sort of a, a nominal, uh, pretty much like at the end of every round you have to pay three food, and on alternating rounds you have to also pay two peat. It's like uh, whatever, food is so easy. Let me tell you something. Last night, I was scraping by for that food, and I'm like, how is it? How, like some games, you're just like flush with the food, and then I've created this weird engine where I'm not flush with the food, and and that is. That again speaks to what's really interesting about the game is that there are 
so many avenues in this game. There are so many. And just when you think you figured it out, you don't. You have spaces on the game board that can go completely unused by everyone. And on, on other games, you say, why do they even design this space? But here, it goes unused in one game, and then another game, it's like, I'm there every single round. Yep. And that's, it's, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> but it's like, it's really cool how that works. I think we highly recommend that you check it out, especially if if you and let's realize that this fits a niche. This is a two-player game that is great and deep and interesting, and is not uh, mean and it's not cutthroat, but it is still very engaging and very competitive. Uh, but, that, but something that's a that's some, a right that's a slot that's that's a slot that we don't have a lot of games a for. Slot. It's. I, I I feel like that's a uh, like we get requests for games to play with couples. Yes. That uh, w- one member does not enjoy like harsh conflict. This is this fits that uh, to a T. Like you know. Yes. I think. Like, yeah. I think this uh, is actually a perfect game for a couple. And uh, sorry, I just I'm going to talk right over you, Paul. Uh, I'm sorry. No, but, you <laughs> do that. You go, I'm a psychic. <laughs> Excuse um, me, Robin. You've already, like, you've already pretty much gotten me to like, you know, spend sixty dollars on a game today. So, um, <laughs> um, but basically, I, you know, I think it's the reason why I say it's perfect for a couple is not just because it's two players, but this is a game that rewards multiple plays. And I feel like people just when if you do play this game, just know that the first time you're not going to understand why you need any of the things you're doing. Just start pulling levers. This is a Pull levers and enjoy the enjoy the fun of pulling levers of just playing around because this is a game that wants you to play around, but also know by the way this is really really important. This game is a table hog like it's a two player game and you would be shocked by how much space this this game game takes up. It is enormous. Like it is you cannot just play this on like a little card table or a bistro table. This is an enormous game with like a lot of components. It takes a long time to set up. Definitely make sure you get some sort of organizer or some Plano boxes. It is huge. And when you add the expansion, it gets even bigger. So just know that if you are planning a date night around this. Um, uh, but I say it's, it is, um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a totally fascinating game. And, and, and also just know this, that the game comes with um, really good player aids. Uh, and also the, the rule book is really good. And, the reason why I mention that is if you are just if you see everything and you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do? The game there's like an entire page I believe on the back of the rule book, but maybe it's on the player aid that's like, oh, um, so you have so you so you have hides. What do you do with hides? Well, you can use them here or here. Oh, you've got wood. You can use them here or here. Oh, you can. It shows you what you can do with everything. And my tip is if ever you're lost, just look over to the buildings and find a building that looks like a cool building that you want to build. And then work backwards to how you want to get those resources to build it. And then you'll that will just sort of send you on your journey. Indeed. That was Fields of Arl 2014. I'm going to move us along, gentlemen, because we got a lot to, to still to talk about and we are burning through our time. Let's get to our member-specific segment, Hidden Gems 2020. Tell us what we're going to be doing here, Ben. Well, um, you know, Fields of Arl to me, is sort of like a hidden gem because yeah. even though it is well received and it's actually ranked very high on BGG, like number in the low fifties, I still feel like it's a game that a lot of people don't know about. 
uh, and that's been overshadowed by things like Agricola and, and Feast for Odin. And so, and I noticed that there were not a lot of podcast reviews for it. So that's another reason why I wanted to review it is because it's a good two-player game. You know, I think player count, a low player count is important in pandemic times. And also, like, I, I wanted to, like, you know, have a nice, like, chunky discussion about it because I feel like it's a little underserved, which got me thinking about what are some other games that are, that are like hidden gems uh, that that are maybe not don't don't have the sort of love that they should be getting um, or have been forgotten about or maybe you've heard of them but you just sort of like maybe just dis- dismiss them and I kind of want to be like hey you should be paying attention to this game because uh, I've really enjoyed it so and if we're I talking say, yeah, hidden gems exactly and uh, I'm gonna try and come up with new hidden gems because I think I bring up hidden gems not too unoften and it's one of my favorite things in the world. Candace Harris, uh, Candace Harris of of Board Game is is amazing, and she will sometimes shoot me an email or or a text and just say, "Hey, you 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 told me you know you were raving about Santiago and how no one played it. I just played it and we had the best time. I absolutely love this game. And when that happens, that's probably my favorite experience as a podcaster." Is when when somebody plays a little known game or a game that 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 doesn't you know people don't think of anymore, and they just have this spark of absolute joy that they found something magical and they found something amazing. That's what we're trying to create here. We're gonna yeah, let's get into it. What's your what's what's your first hidden gem that you want to talk about, Ben? Um, the first hidden gem, aside from the Deluvia project, since we already reviewed that, that's sure. a major hidden gem. So people should go re- revisit that review. But um, this one's called Iki. I-K-I, and it is like, I think it's my most hidden gemmiest hidden gem. Um, it is just an absolutely wonderful game. Wonderful game. It came out about five years ago or so, maybe six years ago. Um, and it takes place in Edo-era Japan. And the game is like a giant rondelle. You're basically in a marketplace. And you're visiting stalls in the marketplace. Um, and uh, you are when you visit the stalls, you get certain items, etc., you know? Uh, but what's cool is that you get to hire people and put them into the, the various stalls. And when people when people visit your merchant, then that merchant gains experience. And when they gain experience, they um, they start to offer you better income. At certain points of the game, like every every few turns, there's like the end of the round, you get income from your from your merchants. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the more people visit your merchant, the better your income is going to be. And then at a certain point, they gain so much experience that they actually retire and they just join your tableau. And so um, you have the fun of a rondelle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have the fun of this game of like, um, of, of like you need, like, like what employees do you put out? You want to put someone out there that's going to be attractive to other people to come visit. But then you also are like, but maybe I also want to put an employee that's going to be attractive for me to visit. Um, and then where do I put it? Because all the different stalls are associated with different actions. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful game, uh, totally like passed over by the board game community, but Rado did a, did a run through of it, which will give you a good sense. I highly encourage people to go look at the run through and then, um, and then if it looks good to you, try to track down a copy. It's like one of my most beloved games. I have never played it. Can't wait. Looking forward to that. Um, I would love it. There's no online implementation either. And so that's mm. really bums me out. Speaking of rondels, my first choice is 2009's Shipyard, Vladimir mm. Suhi. 
Uh, so good. It is such a good game. Now, uh, games disappear for a variety of reasons. This one disappeared because right when it came out, a lot of people played it. A lot of people were into it. And then just that one thread comes on Board Game Geek where they say the bonus tiles, the tiles that you yeah. choose for the end of the game are imbalanced. The game is broken. Ugh, and that's ridiculous. That's all it takes is is just that. And the game will 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 die and disappear. And uh, you know, I bring it up occasionally as being one of my favorite games. And crickets, right? People don't and people don't know it. People or people have seen it, but they've never played it. It is an amazing game. There are mm-hmm. one, two, three, four. I think there's like six rondels in the game. The game yeah, is just that's... all these different sections that ha- each have their own rondel. One rondel is getting uh, parts for the ship. One is getting crew for the ship. One is getting upgrades and technologies that are going to let you advance and design it better. One rondel is the action selection rondel where you're choosing which of the other rondels you're going to you're you're going to activate. And what you end up doing is you end up getting pieces, really nice pieces of a ship, and you're building it on your own personal player board, which mm-hmm. is your shipyard. So I get the okay. bow of the ship, I get the stern of the ship, and then I'm filling in the middle spaces. The middle spaces have different things, like they have an emplacement where I can put a cargo crane, or where I could put a gun, right? Where I could put a, a ship's a, a ship's gun, yeah. or where I could where, where I could put sails, where I could put sail rigging, right? Or it has a cabin where I could put passengers on that, and I can then get passengers, like I could get uh, more crewmen, or I could get get uh, businessmen or I could get soldiers on that ship. And basically you, you can create situations where you are specializing your ships. There are all sorts of different ways to play the game. I've seen people win making a ton of really tiny ships. I've seen people win making just the one mega ship. I've seen they people won. I've seen people win by just making military ships and and whaling on whaling on that and the various points you can get from that. Other people doing mercantile ships. Uh, uh, so good. It's such a good game, right? It's crazy. It's so good. good. It needs- and you get to build a ship. Yeah. You get to build ships and you set them <laughs> and then you send them down a canal. You that's the other thing. You send them down a canal. It's just it's so I agree. It's totally, totally forgotten about. You know, and uh, uh, it 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 deserves yeah. lots more love. And Vladimir Suhi has become a gr- amazing designer, and this is one of his yeah. early classics. Really, really classic. I highly recommend that you go out and you try Shipyard. Look on the Geek. Uh, you know, find a way to tweak the tiles. I think there's really one tile in, in that is uh, that creates a, a a imbalance, and you could even just pull it out of the game because you don't need it. Yeah, um, it's and- so it's. It's such a minor thing Agreed. that the, the tile issue and and there are some fixes. It's like don't don't worry about that. Um, I have one. Uh, this game came out about two years ago or so, maybe three, mm-hmm. called Lowlands, and this is like a yeah. perfect companion piece to Fields of Arl. You know, Paul floods. After, what'd you say? Floods, floods. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. It's sheep farming. Um, there's dikes. Uh, but this game is basically just about sheep farming and dikes. And, um, uh, you know, Paul, after one of our games of Fields of Arl this week, uh, we were talking about interaction, et cetera, and how you like to play games. And I was like, you have to play Lowlands. And the reason why is because this game is, it's, uh, to the untrained eye, it just looks like, you know, a standard Euro farming Euro. Oh, you're, you're growing sheep, you know, you're not, or, or you're mating sheep. And um, but what the game is really about is that 
you are trying to make the most amazing sheep farm. You build your fences and build pastures and this and that. You get little buildings to help facilitate the breeding of sheep. And this is like a major, major sheep game. Like your sheep, it's it's like it's like uh like sheep out of control. It's like that Star Trek episode with the little furry things, you know? Tribbles. Um, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Trouble with tribbles or whatever it's called. <laughs> so there's you you want to make the most magnificent sheep game, sheep sheep farm. Um, and uh, whoever ha- makes the best sheep farm at the end of the game is going to get a ton of points. But the problem is you're doing this all in the Netherlands, and you're doing it right by the water. And um, if you don't build a good dike, <laughs> then the water's just going to flood it and kill all your sheep. <laughs> and then your amazing sheep farm is worth nothing. And so you can basically it comes down to, like, am I going to use my resources to build my own private sheep farm, or am I going to use my precious resources to contribute to the communal dike and the dike that will protect us all. And the thing is, um, if you if you contribute a lot to the dike, you're going to get a lot of basically dike points, you know, because um, the town will, you know, theoretically appreciate. Thank you and pay you. Yeah, thank you for building that dike. But the problem is, if you make if you make this wonderful dike, then the sheep are all protected, and then whoever has the most has the then your your contributions get forgotten because whoever has the the most sheep is going to like this wonderful sheep farmers and get all the points. But if you um, focus all on your sheep and then not and you don't contribute to the dike, then your sheep are going to get washed away. And then whoever did contribute whatever they could to the dike will be remembered as this like martyr who <laughs> who attempted to save the town. <laughs> so it's this amaz- has this amazing super interactive thing right in the middle of the game where it's like um, trying to gauge between uh, destroying everyone else's like I want to help I want to build that dike but not build it very well so that way I get all these dike points but then that floods everyone else and then everyone's like well I want to I need to work on my sheep farm to make it amazing but I need to save my sheep farm so I've got to contribute to the dike but then if I contribute to the dike then I might be helping so and so it's a total it's it's so good and it just got it got amazing reviews and just the world passed it over. It sounds like CO2 with sheep. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, but I mean this is Paul, this is such a Paul game. And my my only thing is that um apparently it's not as good at lower player counts. I've only played it at four players, and mm. I want to try it at two and three, because it still could be really fun. But at four players, sure, it is sure. so good. Why why would oh, you want to play it at lower player counts if it's better at higher? No, that's the thing. But the thing is that sometimes people get obsessed with player count. And they're like, well, you can only play it at four player because that's when it's best. And sometimes a game may be best at four players, but it still can be really fun at two. You know, just because it's best at four doesn't mean it's like unplayable at two. So if it's playable at two, then hey, why not? My my next one is a game that Paul and I have played many, many times. It is not a completely hidden gem because it's ranked 417 on the Geek. But uh, I have a confession. When I was putting together a list of possible hidden gems that I would talk about, one designer came over and over and over again, and it's Reiner Knizia. Everybody knows who he is, but he had this span from 95 to around 2002 where he churned out amazing game after amazing game. And they're, when you go back and play them, it's not, they're not like, you know, when you go play, back and play some games from 2012, you're like, oh, I see what this is. This is good, but this game that came out four years later basically took a lot of the same stuff from it, and it's it's better now. That's that's the better version of this, right? That game fired the other game. 
Reiner Knizia games don't get fired. There is something they are unique and different and and kind of amazing. Uh, the one I'm picking is is my favorite Knizia game of, of them all, which is 2000's Taj Mahal. Mm. Taj Mahal has a mechanic in it that I have never seen in another game that is totally unique, absolutely fascinating, and crazy good. What it is is you are um, people competing for the favor of the Maharaja who is going to move through 13 different areas of, of India. And in each region, we are fighting for uh, five different rewards, I believe. Five or six different rewards. No, it's six. It's six different rewards. There is, you know, there are four different advisors who you can get the attention of. There is the Grand Vizier. I mean, there's the, um, what's the, what's the one with the circle? Paul, do you remember what that was called? The... I'm trying to think. No, I do not. Anyway, uh, and then there is a there is a mercantile. Uh, the, you know, elephants get the you know the commerce of that uh, of that region, and you have a hand of cards. Everybody has a hand of cards. These cards are different colors, which are the suits. Once you start playing one suit, you have to continue to play that suit, and they have symbols. They have one to two symbols in the upper right. And those symbols correlate to the different rewards that you can gain. If I am the first player in this round and I play something that has a princess and a general on it, the next player then goes and plays something that has um, two elephants on it, for instance, right? And so on and so forth. When it comes back to me, if nobody played a princess or nobody played a general, I can then bow out. I lose only that one card, and I gain the reward that no one else played, right? Because I have one general. No one else has a general. I win generals. I can retire now. But what if I don't want to retire now? What if I have a really good hand of cards now, and I'm not content just taking one reward out of six? I play two, you know, two of this or, or that or the other thing, and it becomes this thing where the – some people are going to do very well by getting out early, like taking the small victory and getting out early because they, they get certain advantages. They get to put down a, uh, a, a temple, uh, I'm sorry, a palace in that region first. And some of, those, some of those spaces are better than other spaces. Some of them have rewards on them. Second thing is they get the first choice of the two cards that they get to draw to replenish their hand. And sometimes... That's a big, big decision because they can put together long strings of the same color, or they can get uh, you can they can monopolize one symbol, right? Uh, which could be very important because then you're the only one who can get that reward. Uh, it's it's an amazing game because it, there's a press your luck and a bluffing aspect, right, Paul? What, would, wouldn't you say that there's a there's a lot of bluffing in the game where you're trying to get people to go out and you're trying to make people think that oh, I can play the, I can play these cards all day when you're totally out. Uh, I, I will say that table image uh, does contribute to <laughs> your success. <laughs> it is one of those things where, uh, in the end, uh, and the, I guess the reason why I like this game is because you have to also consider the person and what they are, not just the cards, but like the person as far as what they're willing to go and what their uh, pain threshold is. And that's uh, that's always uh, it's it's always good to see for me. Like I'm a person who really likes pressure to reveal character, so uh, I, I think that's what makes the game kind of uh, unique for me. Yeah, it's 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 a wonderful, wonderful game. 
very competitive, very emotional. <laughs> you are there, oh. there. There is a there is there's a lot at stake in some of these hands. You lose the game by overplaying your hand and having to give up four cards and get no rewards for it. That is that is a crushing, crushing defeat. And there and there is a lot of that that can happen in this game. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and it design. was just re-released as like revamped, uh, not revamped, but just like made yes. pretty and stuff, right? Yes, so. e- exactly right. And and didn't you know? I, I don't think made the splash that I wish that it that, I, that yeah. I wish that it had. So Taj Mahal, please check it out. It's incredible. I'm definitely gonna check that out now. Uh, mine is my next one is one that uh, I think lots of people have probably seen in the bargain bins of America and on sale at on Amazon for as low as ten to fifteen dollars. It is a it, it is a sweet, ugly little game. And <laughs> ugly as in like I can't stand the way it looks. Like it like the font is like Chicago font and it's like it's like green and browns. It's like it's, it's really a really an ugly game. I'm I'm gonna say it. Uh, we, um, we, we we sent out that email that we should stop font shaming. Please don't font shame. I'm doing a lot of font shaming today. You are, you really I'm are. just like I I drank a lot of coffee and I'm like, you know what? Today I'm taking down all the fonts. This is it. <laughs> but um it's an ugly little game and I think it was the victim uh of can i stop for one second i just i need to say one more thing on the fonts do you realize that the first american printing the third edition of d mocker the rule book was printed in comic sans (laughs) yes yeah yes actually i think i I, maybe you told me that or maybe i saw when i listed up online the greatest font crime of all time (laughs) i don't even know how to process that i don't even know i mean not only is it the worst font in the world but it's except for dyslexics. Actually, it's a good font for dyslexics. Interesting fact. Oh, uh, but not only is it one of the worst fonts in the world, but when you're trying to match a font to a game, Comic Sans <laughs> and Demacher. I'm like, what? Comic is- Sans is like what you type a like. It's like when you are announcing a bake sale, <laughs> and and you're not even announcing it well, but, but you're like, uh, Comic Sans, like, well, hey everyone, there's uh, a bake sale down the hallway. When I'm inviting like, five year olds to I'm a five year old's birthday party, this font shaming, this, this font <laughs> shaming is just not. It, it, I don't feel safe. Like you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, listen, Continue, like, there's a t- like my, my my will is in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. As as long as you know what I have to say, I really don't like Zap Chancery. That uh, Zap Chancery bothers me because I feel like it's trying to be fancy, but it's like not fancy at all. What about the so Dingbats? Are you a fan of the, no Zap the Dingbats? Zap you... Ding, well, Zap Dingbats is a whole other. I mean, I don't even understand why we have that. <laughs> you, you literally can't read it. It's hieroglyphics. All right, it's what's like your next hieroglyphics game? For no culture. <laughs> That's been font talk with Tom, Ben, and uh, Paul. Join us next week. So, Go ahead. What's your name? <laughs> So this ugly little game is called City Hall, and um, it was released uh, by yes. TMG. Yeah. Have you played it? Have you played City Hall? Uh, no, but I, I but I remembered looking at it and saying, "What's that font? <laughs> <laughs> what? Why is there such an overuse of the Chicago font?" And, and look so, at that green. <laughs> yeah, it's really it really is like very unpleasant. Um, so the game came out. Uh, it, you know what? Uh, Tom Vassell reviewed it, and he did not like it. And you know, uh, Tom Vassell's pretty pretty influential when he yeah. you know when he, if he says he doesn't like a game uh, and it's like a sort of a new game and it's especially it's about city building or whatever it's it's gonna have an uphill battle and no one no one reviewed this game no one really gave it a shot and um 
but I, you know, I love city building and uh, I was intrigued by this game. And, and so it was, a, it was available for really cheap. And I, I had read a really strong review of it online. I think it was at like islaythedragon.com. And I was like, you know what? I'm interested in this. Super cheap. I bought it. Um, I played it and uh, had a great time. Uh, awesome. it was, I, I, I could not believe how much fun it was. It was so wonderful. Uh, it was um, the concept is that you're basically developing um, New York City. Seems like turn turn of the century ish or whatever. It's sort of hard to tell. The art is very much like nineteen, 19 the teens, twenties, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is that we're we're on a path to we're, we're all running for election theoretically, and um, we it's all the actions take place in City Hall and. Anytime you want to do an action, like you put your meeple down to do an action, it's like worker placement, mm-hmm. but um, you can't just do that action. Like when you declare, this is the action I want to do, then um, there's like an auction and um, people, there's a, you, there's a current, there's two currencies, money and influence. And so if, if I say, oh, I want to do this action where I'm going to like uh, zone some land, then we go around the table and... Basically, Tom, you would say, um, "Okay, I'm, I would I would pay two influence to do that," and then Paul, you'd say, "I'll pay three influence," and then I have to decide: um, Am I going to take Paul's higher bid of three influence, or am I going to pay three influence to do that action that I want to do? And so there's this really interesting influence economy going on, which is actually very, very thematic, and um, and then the game itself is pretty interesting of building the city out and. Uh, I don't want to get too far into it also because I haven't played it in forever, but um, it's just, it's, I thought it was a really, really fun game that got, that just kind of got totally lost and forgotten about and it's not very pretty and so I think people are just like, huh? It sounds like a no-brainer at a low price. What did you say? It sounds like a no-brainer at a low price point, right? If 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 you can actually find it for $10, yeah. Get it, and I really wish there were an online implement. I, I keep on saying this, but I do wish there were an online implementation of it, because I would love to play it some more. Um, there are some people who've complained about some some issues with the game in terms of um, not imbalance, but like here's a strategy that you really have to pay attention to, and if you don't pay attention to it, someone's going to win. It's one of those situations. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, God, I I really like it, and I, I think if you see it in a in a in a bargain bin or whatever or online for cheap. Pick it up and, and give it a try. I, I I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Um, my next one is uh, 2016's game Docmus. D-O-K-M-U-S. Uh, this is how, when Candace Harris first came to, uh, to my game night, uh, she goes into the back room where all the games are, right? And I love that. I love getting to know a person by having them look at the, you know, the wall of games and see what they pick out. And she was just amazing. She was, she was just like, oh, Great Zimbabwe. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you know, and like everything she picked out was just, oh, just the connoisseurs. You know, it, it's like she's going through a wine cellar and picking out, you know, not the wine that everybody knows is great, but the wine that very few people know is amazing, but is actually one of the best wines in the world. That's that's the way she went through through my collection. And she pointed at Docmas and she said, Docmas, oh my God, I love that game. I've never met anybody else that, that, that loves that game. Uh, well, when Trey, uh, Maddie, and I went to Essen, we played this game with the designers. It just came out that, that year at Essen. It is an abstract strategy game. 
that has a whiz war mechanic. Now, I'm talking original whiz war. You are, you are these magicians and you're playing cards that have these amazing powers that are blasting people through walls and knocking down things and all that sort of stuff. But it also had these really great cards occasionally that would change the map. It would twist the map. It would relocate a sector of the map to a different place because they were, you know, nine squares stuck together and you can move a square to a different place. Dokmas is essentially like that. What we do is we have a hand of um, settlements, essentially. And what you're going to do is at the beginning of the game, you put down one settlement. And then when it's your next turn, you're going to put a maximum of three settlements on the board and they have to be orthogonally adjacent to a previous settlement. And the goal of the game is to get the most points that you can. And you get points by building settlements next to the small temples, the large temples, next to the ruins. You get extra points if you are in a lot of different sectors. The more sectors you have a, a, uh, a, a settlement in, the more points you get. Uh, and so the trick to the game is that you are drafting at the beginning of the round, right before you start placing things, you're drafting one of the gods. There are five gods in the game, and each one has a different special power. One of them allows you to move uh, to move a guy without getting a penalty. Like there are some places that you you need to lose a guy when you enter the forest, right? So one of your one of your settlements goes out of the game in order to move from a clearing to a settlement. Another one is when you're crossing a a, a lake, you need to sacrifice a guy for that. This one says you don't have to sacrifice. Another one is you can rotate a sector any way you want. So all of a sudden I go from being having a, a guy on the edge of the board to a guy that is right next to another sector that I was previously miles away from and would take forever to get to. Another one is shift a sector. So there are nine it's a nine sector grid but there's only eight sectors. At the beginning of the game, the center sector is empty, so you can slide a sector into that space, like those, you know, those old puzzles that you would get that you would get on a keychain where you can where you slide things around and you try to make the picture show up. I don't know if you you even know what I'm talking about. Anyway, yes, yeah. I I got you, Tom. You got me. Good. <laughs> got Thank it. you. I got it. Uh, I got a two guys. Yeah. So it's essentially an abstract strategy game with just enough strategy. And, and, and the map is, you know, it, it's different uh, um, terrains and all sorts of stuff like that. So it kind of makes sense. But a surprisingly deep and really interesting multiplayer, multiplayer uh, uh, strategy game that I, that I found kind of fascinating. It's kind of a throwback. It's kind of like those games that Reiner Knizia would design or whatever in the, in, you know, in the early 2000s that were really good. Uh, have, you, have either of you played this? I've seen pictures, I but not. I've never played it. I have not, no. Ah, highly, it looks interesting, though. Highly recommend it. It's very, very interesting. I, I, I love it. I'll check that out. Uh, my next one is called Castell. came out about two years ago and uh, from Renegade Games. And it... Um, it's basically uh, a game about the, uh, I think I've actually talked about it on the podcast before, the Catalonian tradition of human towers. Oh, that's right. <laughs> where, yes, 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 yes. That's the one where, you, where everyone's trying to get up as high as they can. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I have talked about it before. Uh, it's, it's a really, it's really good. It's really good. And it's, it's heavy and a, in a way that would surprise you. It's pretty simple. But, you know, like how you plan out your actions and how you build your human pyramids, it's uh, you have to plan a lot and you have to do a lot of thinking. I think you guys would both really enjoy it a lot. I think especially Tom, you'd really enjoy it. Paul, there may not be enough of that sort of like 
uh, uh, nice. anarchy ability for you. Chance to be but... an a hole. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> but there, I don't know there, there are there are some anarchist uh, abilities uh, qualities to it, but not like Lowlands is like the Paul game. Like that game is like so Paul. It like it hurts. It's so Paul. But this, but um, but Castel though is really fun. So Tom. Tom, <laughs> it's, <then. laughs> it's so Tom. Uh, I would love to play. I mean, I want to play all these games with you guys, but Castell has a really good mod on TTS, so it's one that you can play. Lowlands is also on TTS. Have not played it there yet, but Castell, uh, great, really, really great game. That's both um, all about planning, but also there's a lot of this sort of like it's not really tile laying, but you are playing with you're building your human pyramid out of these tiles, and there is a visual a tactile visual element that is um, really, 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 really fun and strategic and thinky and puzzly. So um, super, super high recommendation. It got just, it, it just didn't, it, like, it, it, it's barely made a blip. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, it was two years ago. It was, it's, it's a beautiful looking game, super fun, interesting, innovative stuff you haven't seen before. Uh, and for some reason, it just got lost. And so I'm, I'm telling people to go check that out. Speaking of a game that was just a few years ago and got completely lost, I'm going to talk about ReWorld. ReWorld is ranked 3,308, which is a crime against nature. This hmm. is a Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling game. I mean, these are the guys oh. that did To Call. I mean, this is this is the same people that did games like El Grande. I mean, amazing, amazing designers. Really incredible. It was the year we went to Essen once again, and we got to play this game, and it was our surprise hit of the uh, of the entire fair. We did not expect to come out lo- loving that one more than anything else, uh, but we really did. It, it was a, a really good game. I'm not sure it's better than some of the other titles that we played there, but we were. It was the one that surprised us the most because we had heard nothing about it. In Reworld, we're going to be uh, attempting to terraform a newly discovered planet. And the game has two completely distinctive halves and phases. The first half, what we're doing is, is there's a big um, map, uh, I mean, sorry, a big spaceship, right? And there are um, bays in that spaceship that have different um, equipment, right? There are shuttles that are able to fly different parts. There are terraformers, which you're going to need to land and, and terraform a, a place. There are satellites, which give bonuses in ver- in various places. There are material vessels, which provide the, the goods and things that you're going to need to build a world. And all of these have letter designations saying the location that they are suited for on the world that you're going to build. Uh, And you are playing a very, very cutthroat game where you are selecting a a card from your uh, from your hand or you're you're selecting one of these elements. And when you do, it makes the other elements around it harder, more expensive to get. It's 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 a very interesting design. But when you get these elements, these elements are going onto your ship and they're going in in a specific order, which is interesting because in the second half of the game, you're then taking the elements that you got in that first half of the game. It's the equipping phase, right? And now you're, you have to put these elements down on the planet. And it creates a really, really interesting puzzle because the, the first things that you, you put on your ship are often some of the last things that come off of your ship. And the order in which you have to put things down on the planet matters tremendously. 
There is a real mm. competition in a lot of different ways. Really good scoring, really interesting. It's a very different game than than, than any other game that I've played. It, it it's, it's one of these games where you're you're trying to get the best stuff, but it's not just about getting the best stuff. It's about figuring out the order in which you're placing these things on your ship in order to be able to offload it well and and dominate on the the terraforming planet conquering part of the phase. Very, very interesting game. I highly recommend that you check it out if you get an opportunity. Awesome. Um, and my let's, next let's, one. Let's is, have this be our last one, if that's okay with you, Ben. Okay. Five? Okay, I'll, I'll do. Okay, I'm going to change this one up. <laughs> no, then. fine, no. fine, fine. We'll do six. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, you know, I can just keep going, 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 going. What I, yeah, here's, we, we can make this I, a four-hour podcast, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. I'm gonna give like my blurb about this next one, and then I and then I have another sort of like I'll just do like a bullet points like uh for my because I've got a bunch that I just want to Fine. have their names uttered so in I. the world, Fine. and then people can look into them. <laughs> um, this one, um, oh gosh, I've got two here to choose from. Which is the one that I want to highlight the most? Which is the mo- I'm gonna highlight which this one. Paid the most. Would you pay with the most for? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. Well, there that I, I'm going to highlight this one, which I I did pay the most for this one, uh, and it's totally different than everything we've discussed. Um, uh, and if I I I think it's a hidden gem, um, and the reason why I say I think it is, it's it's a game called Belrati um, that uh, hasn't actually even really come out here stateside. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm like, is it a hidden gem if it hasn't really come out here? Um, it's going to be. I believe it's going to be released here. Under a different name, uh, I forget what the, the new name is, but you can just look up Belrod and you'll probably see the implemented by something on Board Game Geek. But it's actually sort of like a party game, and it's of that style of like Mysterium, of like association and what do we all mm. associate what with what. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is actually my favorite version of it. It's almost like a streamlined version of Mysterium. If you want to see how it plays, um, um, Game Night, which Candace, let's just keep talking about Candace because she's wonderful. Can't, I don't think she was on this episode, but she appears often on Board Game Geeks Game Night. They actually did an episode about Belrati. And uh, the theme is sort of wacky. It's basically um, uh, around the table. Some of, some of us are owls and some of us are cats. And the owls are curators at a museum and the cats are artists. Or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> it's hard to tell sometimes with these very realistic experiences. But um, the, the, the museum uh, wants to put on an exhibition and you pull uh, two cards from the top of the deck and you say, this is what we want our exhibition to be. This is the theme of the exhibition. And all the cards on the deck are just images of objects. It's just a simple, it's not abstract. It's not like anything crazy. It's like an umbrella or a shoe or a flower, you know, very, very simple. And so maybe the theme is like an umbrella and a shoe. And then we all, all the quote unquote artists have like a hand of cards and the uh, curators who actually I think are cats, the curators have to say, um, we would like uh, six paintings, you know, for this exhibition. And so then the group as a whole has to put down, take cards from their hand and submit them to the museum. But no one gets to see what everyone else is submitting. Hmm. And uh, But the group discusses, like, I have a good one. I have one that would really match this. This would really match this theme, et cetera. So the group submits their cards. And then the, the curator cats pull four cards from the top of the deck and put them into this group. And they shuffle it all and present them all. And now the curators have to, have to decide 
which cards came from the players and which cards came from the deck. Right. And um, the whole idea is that, like, um, you know, like if there was an umbrella, maybe someone put um, a card out that was like boots because it's like maybe boots are sort of like you wear boots because it's wet or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just like a it's like a cleaner, easier version of Mysterium. It is so fun, and uh, all everyone I've played it with has just adored it. It's a great. This is not a heavy game. This wow. is the opposite end. Yeah, so yeah. fun. I, I I think Mysterium's a great game, but I would I would like it with a little less to do, right? I think that's fantastic. Exactly. Oh, it's fussy. So check it out when it comes out in stateside. Like, be sure to to seek it out, and I'll try to find the the, the proper name of what it's going to be. But I think <laughs> the new version is going to be like a yard sale instead, which I think is not nearly as fun as a museum with artists. No, definitely not. Um, and my final one is the bloody. In the Bloody Inn came out in <gasps> Love it. 2015, and uh, listen, probably the theme is what killed it because it, it, it mm. listen, it's not not tremendously unpopular. That's the best it's best part of it. 759. That's right. All right. All right. Is that what killed it? In 1831, in a little French village called Ardèche, uh, one of the very first serial killer cases came out. It turns out that there were a bunch of rural farmers that were dirt poor and, you know, not doing so well. And listen, they weren't going to be able to guillotine the rich for another 50 years. So they, they had to make their, own, uh, make their own fun. So what they did is they opened an inn. So travelers passing through would come to their inn and then they would get them drunk and rob them blind. Matter of fact, uh, I think Les, uh, Les Mis, Les Miserables, has the, the innkeeper and his wife... Uh, why they're such the villains and so dastardly, I believe, comes in part from this story. So Mm. they get them drunk, they rob them blind, and if these people ever find out that they were robbed, they murder them. They murder them and bury them, you know, out in the fields where they're where, where they're farmers and stuff like that, until eventually the gendarme found out and you know and arrested all these people and it was a huge you know you know scandal in the area. So we are all playing these disreputable innkeepers. We have a hand of cards. The interesting thing about the game is that the hand of cards that you have can be played in a variety of ways. You can play them. Uh, uh, face up in front of you, in which case you are making them your conspirators and they're uh, part of your crew and working for you, in which case their special abilities come to play. You can play them in a room in the inn, in which case they are the the people in the inn that you are then going to rob. Um, you can murder them. You can murder the people that are in these places, but then you have to worry about the coppers, right? The coppers are going to be in and around, so when you murder somebody, you better have a plan for dealing with the body. Uh, yeah. It, it is the interesting thing about the uh, about the game is that it is an engine that eats itself. When mm. you are playing the game properly, you are burning through your cards, creating an engine, and then suddenly you don't have any cards. Your engine can can kind of die on you. So it is it is very very different than almost every other card game that I've uh, that I've ever played. It plays in about an hour maximum. It's a it's a pretty good you know I, was, I would call it a long filler, and yeah. Just so wonderfully macabre and delightful, right? Yeah. Would you say, Ben? Oh, it's so good. the The art is wonderful. It's so evocative, and it feels like you're in one of these like Tim Burton movies, as like this 
this macabre, macabre is the perfect name for it. I wish there were more macabre games because it really has that vibe. You start getting into a hole, like you you kill someone and then the cop comes and you're like, oh, if the cop finds that I've killed someone, I'm going to be in trouble. So you kill the cop. And now you've got like a dead cop there and you got a dead this person. Then you got to like, you don't, you, you, not only do you have like the, the, dead, the dead bodies, but you have to actually like stow the dead bodies away. So you have to build like a shack or something, an annex to stow the dead bodies. And it's one of the, it's like, it's like the tip, one of these typical movies, right? Where like um, one stupid crime, then snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you definitely get that vibe. I actually almost wish the game had even more pressure because sometimes it feels like you start to you start to get in the hole a, a little bit. And I kind of wish the game really ratcheted up that yeah that, that pressure a lot. You know, um, and I have the expansion, but I haven't played with it. I've, it's called Ooh. the Carnies, and uh, uh, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what the expand the one, one of my issues with the game there are two issues with the game uh there's only one out of all those cards there's only one woman which i think is really like reprehensible um uh the carnies brings in more women i think but i haven't looked through the cards but but there's only one woman which is crazy but, the, but um, these are all these are all murderers and and, and murdered and murdered exactly. people yeah, but give so, me some we... femme fatales give me like i mean like <laughs> paul what do, you, what do you think about this game you played this game several times i'm, I'm still always shocked how few people know about this game but yeah. what, what do you think paul i mean i, I think i think you have it the nail on the head is like I think the theme hurt it. I don't think, as a whole, people enjoy uh, what you call it uh, sympathizing with uh, serial killers. <laughs> yeah, it's just not something that uh, people will instantly gravitate to. Not uh, my brother-in-law. In, uh, uh, say again. Not my brother-in-law. He not doesn't. Your brother-in-law. Yes, right. That's right. He doesn't I, have that I'm, problem. Uh, I've exceeded uh, the you know the uh, the concepts of good and evil, but. <laughs> I'm but a walking like, But in the end, like, you know, it, it is, it is this, what I really like about it is it feels remarkably pragmatic if you get into the theme. Like, yes. you know, here's the thing. I got to do this. Oh, I killed this person. I got to bury him. Oh, here comes the cop. I got X, Y, and Z. It feels like, it feels so uh, organic to, you know, like a situation, much like Ben said, like, you know, small crime escalates and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's just like, there's, and I don't want to use this word because it might make me sound crazy. There's a certain pleasantness about that. Like, you know, there's, you know, you, you, you just yeah. divorce yourself from morality and then you just go like, oh, here is what needs to be done. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's refreshing because that <laughs> definitely makes me sound crazy, but uh, it's definitely freeing. How about that? Is that, is that a better word? No. <laughs> this is. I think this has been there so are far su- worse atrocities in the world of board gaming oh that God. have been depicted in the world of board gaming than you know this but, but, like but, horrific but French this, family. This has been this has been end. sociopaths on games. Please join us next yeah, week, but, couldn't we? Uh, that's right. Oh my but, god! But here's the thing about the and, and to your point, Tom, the theme, like you know, like let's say you do a colonization game or or, or whatever, like you know, imperialism. Yeah. Like it's all kind of like hidden, like you know, like hidden might not be the right word, but like you know, no, it is. That's not the yeah, whitewash. Sure. Let's say whitewash. Sure, uh, it is. Well, whitewash. Whereas this, like you know, you're in it. You're going to kill this person. You're going to bury them. You're going to create uh, mechanisms to bury people better. Like, you know, it's really in your face. And I don't know if people like being confronted like that. Maybe not. But if you can. I, I like you it. Can, yeah, I, I do, too, because we're sociopaths. Uh, <laughs> but like in in the end, like, I think if you can just uh, look, I don't want to say past that, but just embrace that. You go like, oh, there's such 
like like for me it's a, it's like uh, back to wavelength like you know it's really about life is about empathy understanding people's worldviews from where they are and like you know you could see in this game where like if you were a killer and you're you had to do these things this is how you would do it yeah. Does that make sense? I think I think the barrier for entry to this game is actually less the theme and more that it's like a little heavier than you'd expect for this game, mm-hmm. and the artwork, and, and it may not be like um, as as heavy as other people might want it. And I think I've found that when I've taught the game, uh, sometimes people's eyes glaze over when you're just describing the different things the cards can do. Mm. So there's that. I think the artwork is fantastic. I think the theme is deliciously macabre. I feel like it's very immersive. I feel like you feel like you're running an inn. It feels like an actual movie. I think it's a wonderful game, and I have that's, not played it in forever, and I need to. Yeah, I think it's... That, I think that, it, that, that's a great way of saying it. It feels cinematic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it, there's more game there than you would think. You look at the bloody inn, and you think, oh, this is going to be a 30-minute silly filler, but no, it's a game. It's a real yeah. game, and it's got it's got a lot to it. It's it's surprisingly yeah. good. All right, we are, we are, we're definitely not doing a game sommelier. Why don't you jump through your, your a list of Here's other things you need to say. Hot, okay. takes. hot takes. Here we go. Hot takes of game. These are games that are have uh, that are uh, they hidden gems slash they deserve a second a second thought. Wings for the Baron. If you find it, it's from Victory Point Games, which I think are they're out of business, so you may not find this one. It looks oh, like the a World super War dry, ridiculous game. It's actually like a romp. It's a lovely, fun game about World War One and building yeah. um, biplanes for <laughs> the Germans. You know, mm-hmm. delight. But it actually is a delight. Krafwagen, um, car making, surprisingly really fun. I, I really love it. I felt like this was under the radar. Tragedy Looper is uh, <laughs> unlike anything else. And um, <laughs> Yes, it but, is. I, I love it. I, I love that game. Like the, I, I, own like pivot, I own it. I own it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tragedy Looper. I, I, may, I, may, I may come back and want to do a review of, of Tragedy Looper, actually, because I think it's, it's unlike any other game, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm your Huckleberry. Jang Wo. Zhang Guo is, um, mm-hmm. you know, like what's your games has like certain like Madeira and these super, certain superstars. And Zhang Guo is an excellent game that I feel like sort of gets like a little bit lost in that mix. So if you see a copy of that, definitely get it. Um, Gentes came out or Gentes came out about a year or two ago. And uh, it got like some people li- liked it a lot. Some people gave it sort of mediocre reviews. I think it's great. I think you should. I think it's a wonderful game that's worth exploring. Kalimala came out. Um, uh, mm-hmm. That feels like an old classic, but it's only about two years old. Super, super fun. Stronghold, I think, released it. Definitely check it out. Here's one that you guys are going to give me a lot of grief about, oh. but I'm saying it. Oh. I'm putting it out there. Key to, the City Lon- Key to the City London. <laughs> I am of, I am of the Key to the City that. London. Okay, there you go. I owe you 20 bucks, Paul. Thank you. This has been Game Brain. <laughs> Join us next <laughs> week when we, hear, when we hear Ben talk more about Key to the City London. Go ahead. I I like it more than regular Keyflower. It's it, to me it sort of strips out some of the stuff that I find a little annoying about Keyflower. But uh, and on top of that, I love the theming and modern day London. I love seeing a modern London game. Hmm. Um, along that same lines, a game that seems to always come up for me because it I, I feel like it applies so well in so many different uh, scenarios is on the underground, which is about building yep. the tube in London. It's a great great game. People really need to know about it. Um, Pandemic. Rising Tide, which is actually the Splatter Pandemic, because one of the Splatter guys designed it, is my favorite of the pandemics. If you see it, it's it's very different and it is fantastic. Um, Wildcatters is a really cool, yeah. funky um, oil game where you're it's this big beautiful map 
and the first it's capstone just, game wasn't it i think it i don't know if it was the first but it's definitely one of the crazy ones and it's like it's hard to describe but you're just basically building this crazy oil infrastructure around the world it's really cool lignum another capstone uh. Super ugly, probably one of the ugly. It's uglier than City Hall. <laughs> Talk about font crimes. The font crimes yeah. in that game are obscene. And I just, yeah, just two weeks ago, I was ranting about how great that game is when we talked about uh, Francis Drake because it has a similar mechanic. Great game. I feel like it does not get the love it deserves because it looks like it was made by crayons with someone who doesn't know how to use crayons. But uh, it is a super fun. Super dry, super fun game. And the last one, I'm not sure if this is a hidden gem or not, but I kind of feel like it's on the cusp. So I'm just going to say it. Panamax, great game. Panamax! Panamax! (laughs) Panamax. All right, I'm going to go through mine. Much quicker than Ben did, I hope. Uh, my first three are all Reiner Knizia's. Remember I said I had all these Reiner Knizia's? Through the Desert, Reiner Knizia, 1998. It is multiplayer go. Crazy good. Samurai, maybe his best medium-weight game. It's about... It only plays about an hour. Gorgeous, gorgeous board. Tremendously difficult choices. Colossal Arena is an incredible uh, battle royale game played with cards. Really tough, really thinky, amazing. Wallenstein is one of the best. This is a game that I play with people that uh, like like, uh, Ameritrash games, and I want to bring them over into Euro games. Amazing, very different than almost anything else you'll ever play. Sleuth. Back in 1971, Sid Saxon's Sleuth is still the cleanest, the clearest, the perfect deduction game. It's a little dry, but it's amazing. Genoa is the best deduction, the best uh, negotiation game that ever has been. Still amazing to this day. Not really a hidden gem, but but it's kind of disappeared. We don't really hear it. Greed Incorporated, Paul's maybe Paul's favorite splatter, but definitely the forgotten splatter. Uh, Liberté is a six-player Martin Wallace area control game set during the French Revolution, and it is as bloody and brutal and bruising as Martin Wallace and French Revolution would have you think. Uh, Polarity is this bizarre little dexterity game using magnets that is, a you know, for a completist, it is one of the most amazing things ever. Barely a game, but fascinating. Uh, Cartagena, I've mentioned many times, is one of the best fillers that, that, that I've ever ever played. Play it with the family all the time. Kind of thinky, really interesting. And last but not least, uh, we'll end with a Reiner Kinsey as well. Winner's Circle is, a, is my favorite horse racing game. Strategic, fun, plays with all ages. Get them. There you go. There we go. Cool. And we're and and we're coming on five hours. Seven five hours, hours later. <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, this is fantastic. We are we are really long, so I'm I'm just gonna sign off for us. But I always enjoy talking to you two guys. I think we I, I think we have a lot of really good stuff in this episode, and I hope people tune in till the end. We have a YouTube channel. Ooh, uh... <laughs> we have a YouTube channel. YouTube.com forward slash c forward slash game brain pod. A Facebook group and a Discord channel that get busier every day. Please get us in those board games. Somalia questions because last week Maddie ran through four of them, leaving us none. Uh, and you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at GameBrainPod, at contact at GameBrainPod.com, or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online or virtually. 
make some friends with games. Ooh, uh, 